And it is in the humble opinion of this narrator that this is not just something that happened. This cannot be one of those things. This, please, cannot be that. And for what I would like to say, I can't. This is not just a matter of chance. Oh, no. These strange things happen all the time. Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagiri. And that was a tidbit from the late, great Ricky Jay in Magnolia from 1999. Uh, my favorite movie of all time. So, as you can as you can guess, my heart is racing. My uh, I've got goosebumps already. I can't wait to talk about this movie, talk about what it means to me, and talk about it's kind of a place in cinematic history. Uh, it was up for three Academy Awards at the 72nd ceremony. Best Supporting Actor for Mr. Tom Cruise, the legend who is now back on top with Top Gun Maverick, it seems like. Somehow this guy at age 60 is still here, just thriving. Uh, Magnolia was also up for Best Original Song by Amy Mann, Save Me, the song that plays at the end of the film, uh, as we see John C. Riley and Laura Walters uh, kind of, you know, having their moment, right? Really cool, great ending. And then it goes through the credits and you're like, oh God, what a movie. Uh, and then Best Original Screenplay by, of course, Paul Thomas Anderson, the genius behind this movie and so many other great films. Um, right away, Magnolia, where does it rank for you personally with PTA's movies? That's that's hard. I, um, I think, first off, I'm pretty sure Paul Thomas Anderson is the director we've done the most on this on this show. This is our third one. We did Boogie Nights. We did The Master. We basically did their only blood when we did our No Country for Old Men episode yeah. because that's like that is like in my opinion the greatest one-two punch when it comes to best picture. It was like a, I remember you know we were both young. We were like both twelve when those movies came out, but it was an actual race between those two through the award season. People were like, it's one of those two movies that's winning, yeah. and they're both like through line American masterpieces. And have so much to say about like the American story through cinema. So, um, yeah, we basically did it. Their Holy Blood episode already. <laughs> well, his films are so good. They're all so delightfully original, eccentric, painful. They're American classics, every one of them. And it's really hard to rank them. Uh, I guess if I had to, if, I, if there was a gun to my head, it Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood are constantly shifting between one and two. Yeah. But Magnolia is at least in the like in the top middle. It's yeah, it's self-indulgent as hell. It doesn't necessarily need to be three hours long, but it, I get no. it. I wouldn't want to have to be the guy to cut a story here. Uh, and I get why people might not respond to it. You definitely need to be in a certain cinematic mindset to really like get this movie to really appreciate it. And that's a thing Paul Thomas Anderson just like you're either in or you're out. He doesn't care what you think, really. He's like, I'm going to make my art and you're either going to get on board or you're not. And that's on you. <laughs> yeah. And I respect that big time. So yeah, I, I think he's one of the greats and uh, I'm so glad I've seen all of his films and this is a second watch for me. So this feels good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure it does. I've seen it countless times now. I don't even know. It's like, and not just obviously, of course, like watching it all the way through, it takes, you know, it takes a day. <laughs> uh, it, it, yeah, it clocks in at three hours and eight minutes and it's, it's long. You can, you, I'm, I'll admit it's my favorite movie of all time, just as like a personal, oh my God, this movie understands like what I want from storytelling. It understands, you know, the subtle symbolism throughout the film of different things like Christianity and the Freemasons and all these amazing things and regret and love and loneliness and these 
these themes that just I, I just feed off of when it comes to movies. And so, but but like I personally think I agree with you. I think I think there will be blood. Boogie Nights and The Master are his best movies, Paul Thomas Anderson, where, holy shit, this guy's on top of his fucking game. Like, and there's no doubt about it. Uh, but Magnolia is definitely an experiment. It's, uh, it's his third film. You know, uh, he does Heart Eight. He does Boogie Nights. And people are like, holy shit, this guy's got, and he's not even 30 yet, you know, and he's, he's got something to say. And the, so he got, you know, total free reign to do this movie, Magnolia. And it shows, it shows, you know, he's in his late twenties, obviously, obviously doing a lot of cocaine, (laughs) obviously uh, thinking about so many things uh, at once and just kind of jamming it as, as much as he can in there, you know, for the three hours, you get a lot of bang for your buck. You know, you get a lot of dialogue, a lot of content, a lot of like oddly humorous scenes that are just like, what the fuck was that? You know, it just looked like, it seems like a movie I would have loved to work on uh, to just kind of be kind of watching him do his thing and kind of let loose. Uh, and then after that, I, I think he completely changes how, who he's going to be as a filmmaker with punch drunk love in 2002. Uh, it's, it's his shortest film. And I think he honed in on, okay, I want to really, really do character studies. I really want to like just hone in on, on a guy or a lady or whatever it is. And then, you know, and then he does, there will be blood. So like, yeah. Uh, and then he does the master, you know, these two guys were just going toe to toe. Uh, then he does inherent vice, which is clearly a, you know, a character study on Doc Sportello uh, and also a uh, novel adaptation. Uh, and then he does, let's see, uh, phantom thread. I mean, yeah, <laughs> just, just the guy knows how to do, use Daniel day Lewis better than anybody. And then finally uh, his last movie, licorice pizza, which came out um, in late 2021. You and I got to see it together in Los Angeles. It felt right. I love that movie. Uh, so, so funny. And I just rewatched it finally, I, I, like here in my home. And I was like, this movie's so fun. Like it, he, he, he still has that, that gear that he can go to, like the Boogie Nights gear of just like, I'm just having fun. And my, my cast is having fun. And the people who got to help me write this movie, the people who got to do the soundtrack, you know, choices, we all had fun doing this. And that, that's like a nice place to go back to with Paul Thomas Anderson because, you know, Phantom Thread is tough and Inherent Vice is so fucking weird and The Master is tough and There Will Be Blood is tough. <laughs> so I, I think he's shown throughout his, you know, his nine films now that he can kind of do it all when it comes to tone and, you know, thematic elements. And so I, I love the guy to death. He's easily my favorite, favorite filmmaker of all time. So anytime we get to do one of his movies, uh, I'm happy. This is episode 104. You know, when we started it, it was like, oh man, I, like we got to hold back on, you know, Tarantino and the Coens and PTA and these, these guys that we both kind of just gravitate towards. So when we do get to do one of those guys, it's, it's special. I am amazed at your um, self-control in making uh, it over a hundred episodes before we talked about Magnolia. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. And Jackie Brown. You know, these movies that are like a part of my DNA. But with that, the trade-off has been we do movies like Shanghai Express, which I've never seen. And you have those experiences of where you and I watch a movie for the, for the first time together. So I'll, I'll take that all day. You know, it's been it's been a lot of fun. We're not going anywhere. So uh, there's limitless episodes that we're going to be doing. And there's no rush. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're coming up next week is our 
essentially our two year anniversary of doing the show and it falls on a best picture showdown. So we're going to be doing a massive fucking movie next week. So I kind of wanted to make this because our, our first episode ever was Pulp Fiction. Right. And then our one year was anatomy of a murder, which is just like an awesome Hitchcock, just fucking uh, brilliant movie. Sorry. Was it rear window that we did? That's why I said Hitchcock. Uh, which one did we do? I, I don't know. Cause we've done rear window and anatomy of a murder. So I, I don't I know. When. <laughs> I think it was rear window. Cause I'm pretty sure we talked about Hitchcock on the one year. I'm pretty sure. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, I, I would probably, probably. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think so. Either way, both those movies fucking kick ass. And they they feature great. one of, they feature one of our favorite uh, lead actors of all time. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's why, yeah. That's why the mix up there, but I'm pretty sure it's rear window. Cause I almost remember talking about Hitchcock and how we wanted to do kind of, you know, Tarantino, we want to do Hitchcock for a one year and, and here we are kind of tackling PTA. Uh, I would call this kind of like our choice two year anniversary episode. And next week is like, we have to do a showdown. So let's do something fucking massive. So next week is going to be great, but this is a personal thing and um, we're going to have fun with it. Um, 1999 is when Magnolia comes out. So why not do a top five, 1999? I mean, this year is fucking loaded, absolutely loaded. We've done 1998 recently. I think it'd be really cool to go ahead and just knock out this year as well. I know we both have some firm favorites from this year. Uh, so it's going to be, it's going to be a blast to kind of go down the line. Uh, I think it'll be predictable as usual with us, you know, we, but it's just, where do they line? You know, where, where, where do they rank? Where do they, where do they end up? So I'm excited to kind of talk about 1999 and then we'll do some, uh, some awards for Magnolia kind of just open up the, you know, open up the discussion there uh, about, about the film itself. And then at the end, we'll kind of go through the 72nd Academy Awards, look at some stuff, look at the screenplay group, look at the supporting actor group and the original song group. So I'll let you start your um, 1995, or sorry, 1999 list uh, with your number five whenever you're ready. This is, uh, this is an interesting year because I'm always amazed by how many of my favorite movies came out this year. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's weird. Yeah. The sacrifices I had to make hurt. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I left out some hammers, some tens. To, wow. So you have five tens. I, I do. I, yes, I do. <laughs> I have five tens. I have, I have two surefire tens. And then I have, I've, oh, it'll be fun to talk about. There's two movies in here that I've always gone back and forth. Like, is this just something I'm obsessed with or is this like perfect? <laughs> you know, my, my top two are very much like, are these amazing movies or am I crazy? Yeah. My number five is a nine, but God damn it. I love it with all my heart. <laughs> so I had to have it in there, but yeah, I can't wait to hear what you got, man. There's only one movie on here. I think we, that might be overlap, but I don't know, but we'll see. Ah. Uh, I think one for sure, maybe. I think it's just going to be one, though. Maybe two. Number five, I don't think you're going to have. Uh, but it's still an amazing movie. Uh, number five is The Matrix. Uh, yeah, it's my number four. Yeah. Oh, great. All right. Sweet. Um, yeah. We, yeah, The Matrix is an amazing movie. Uh, revolutionized kind of CGI and, you know, computer graphics and what, like, what you could do with a, with a film. Uh, the sequels did not live up. All three of them aren't great. But this first film stands on its own as just a testament of sci-fi action and a very exciting, still awesome movie 
It has some epic fight scenes, a really cool story, some awesome performances, and one of my favorite movie villains of all time in Hugo mm-hmm. Weaving's Agent Smith. So that's really, yeah, that's what landed it here. I th- felt this was a good place to start out. Uh, I, oh, I nearly flipped a coin for The Matrix and American Beauty, but I had to go with my gut, and I do love The Matrix a little bit more. Yeah, fucking same. Um, I definitely like it more. I, American Beauty is, is is wonderful. It's not my it's not my list, but uh, I do think it's really good. And I don't know if I would like say it deserves everything it got at the at the Oscars uh, this year because I think it, the competition it's going against is not what I would choose for it to go against. If that makes sense, that makes perfect uh, sense. Too. For for example, you know, I'm, I'm you know, a Matrix. The Matrix, in my opinion, should have been out for Best Picture. I think it's. It does, it does exactly what you want a Best Picture movie to do. It completely revolutionizes the game. It's got good performances, got committed performances, and still has an impact over 20 years later on pop culture, like a clear impact. And my God, what a fun fucking movie. I, I, every time I start The Matrix, I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. You know, from when he, you know, Keanu Reeves is, is in his fucking office, you know, and he's like looking around like, oh, my God, you know, and until he, you know, goes face to face with fucking Lawrence Fishburne, who's amazing in this movie. And they have that, you know, that moment of like, this is the Matrix, you know, like, and, and it's like that little kid thing, but it still lasts as you get into adulthood. You're like, this still floors me. And this idea is copied more than like anything since this year, you know, uh, like people want to simulate that feeling so bad of, of what the matrix gives you that first like 30 minutes of like, Oh my God, you know, what if this is real? You know, (laughs) what if, what if this is where we're actually at? So I think it's, I think not only is it kind of like a bro-y, Holy shit, man, like, look at this. I think it's smart. I think it's a smart fucking movie. And I agree, agree with you on Hugo Weaving. Like he, he's lights out. Uh, one of my favorite villains for sure of the '90s and maybe ever. So, yeah, it's my number four. Um, I, I figured this is the movie we'd both have, like no question. It's uh, a film we did, I think, on film guys a long time ago. But uh, oh man, I can't wait to do it on here one day. It was a bonus that we kind of half-assed, and I do regret that. So yeah, we need to bring that to Oscar Sunday and do it proper. The Matrix. It's just up for what like sound it, it was it was up for like three or four technical awards and they get won all of them okay so i remember we did uh um we've talked about 1999 before and i think okay yeah visual effects at one versus star wars and Stuart little what the fuck um it won sound effects editing it won sound sound effects editing that's funny uh yeah man i mean yeah this is a movie we gotta do on oscar sunday one day and just fucking give it the proper you know proper couple hours of just just praising it so yeah great great stuff uh so that's number five wow god damn i thought that'd be higher um my number five is a is a little film called office space (laughs) uh this is you know mike judge a complete mastermind of the of the comedy genre in my opinion and can obviously do tv and movies uh i fucking love office space it's it's one of the funniest movies i've ever seen in my life i still quote it all the goddamn time you know from just uh you know the you know sounds like somebody's got a case of the mondays to you know 
I might show her my own face. Oh, oh, like all the, all the like little things in this movie. Now, Milton, you know, everybody needs to get a piece of cake. Uh, all that stuff is, is, is so good. Or, uh, Hey, Peter, check out channel nine. <laughs> God damn it. Lawrence. Uh, I, I adore this movie. I, 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 I like abuse this movie. If I'm feeling down, I abuse this movie and I let it just kind of be a drug for me just as a pick me up. Everything's going to be okay. Type thing. Um, which as kind of you know cheeky as that is, it, it's sometimes what art is for. So I love this movie. There, there's movies I cut out <laughs> that I, I look at the two compared to each other and I'm like, yeah, American Beauty or Office Space. I just, my gut, my heart tells me Office Space. So I have to have it here. <laughs> it's, <clears throat> it's up there with, you know, my favorite comedies, you know, like Tommy Boy and Dumb and Dumber, those just slapstick fucking dumb comedies. It's, it's like at the top of that because it does have some smart stuff going on. It's got a cool idea behind it of, you know, Peter is just over it. You know, he's just over how society works and how, you know, in a tech, the job he works as like an IT guy, he's just over all of it. So yeah, I love the love this movie. I know you're a big fan as well. I'm going to have to go ahead and agree with you there because <laughs> office space is my number four. Oh, that's incredible. We swapped our five and four. Okay. <laughs> That's the one I was pretty sure you were going to have, and I'm very glad I was right. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I liked Office Space, and then I worked in an office for about a year and a half, maybe two years, and now I fucking love Office Space. You need to work in an office setting to really understand what this movie's trying to say. Mm. It's so mm. crazy how everybody's office experience in America is exactly the fucking same. Uh, since the 90s it's so monotonous and crazy and i just love peter's just like no like this isn't life like fuck this you know find something that makes you happy don't just grind out years and years until you're a husk who didn't do anything um, yeah it's yeah i this movie is one of my my most quoted i think i uh hey <laughs> Like, hey, what's happening? I think I, I, I quote Lumberg more than anybody. Yeah. Hey, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get that memo? Yeah. <laughs> I also love, uh, what is it you say you do here? <laughs> the Bobs. Oh, the Bobs. John, John C. McKinley is fucking on, and Paul Wilson, they are on fire in this movie. I love when they're, they, they find out that uh, David Herman's name is Michael Bolton, and they're like, oh, my God. Just, what's your favorite song and he's like i just love the whole catalog <laughs> uh why should i change my name he's the one who sucks <laughs> <laughs> i love when he's waiting in traffic and he's listening to the rap song and he's a black dude walk past him and he rolls up the window and turns it down oh and, and then he goes and then he goes by and it immediately turns it back up yeah or, or like when he when they're when ron livingston's in traffic and he gets in one lane and it slows down and then the other lane speeds up and he gets over in that one and it slows down and the other one speeds up. Like these are just those like kind of existential, like what the fuck? <laughs> Mike Judge is so good at capturing the little things that piss off everybody that we never talk about. He's yeah. so good at that. He does it in office space. He does it with idiocracy. It's he's the master at that shit. Yeah. 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 I fucking love this movie. It's like, it's like an hour and 20 minutes or something. And and it's like a stand-up bit, just acted out. You know, like you said, he's Mike Judge is pointing out things that we know. 
And so when you, when you see them, you relate to them. And that's like, you know, the whole, that guy who's in the, in the crowd, who's like, it's funny. Cause it's true. It's like, yeah, with office space, it is <laughs> little things like Peter every morning before he opens the door, he looks at it like, Oh, like he's irritated. And then he gets shocked and he's like, fuck every day. Yeah. Every day. It's like, so I understand, good. man. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. I love this movie. <laughs> oh, it's so good. So yeah. Fun. It's absolute gold. We, we got to throw that on film guys at some point, just, just to have a laugh, you know? Um, Absolutely. And it's, it's very rare that at least in my circles that I meet somebody who hasn't seen it, you know, it's, yeah. it's this, it's this beloved above a cult classic at this point, like people, love this movie and and i i totally understand it when it comes to this one so yeah it's my number five um it's your number four my number four is the matrix so we'll go to your number three already let's go my number three okay now i went hardcore lifelong personal for these top three like if you know me at all there is no surprise here whatsoever uh my number three is one of the most underrated hilarious movies of all time galaxy quest mm, okay i was gonna guess something else as you were maybe it'll come down later i don't know because there's there is a movie you showed me from 99 that i i am also in love with now <laughs> <laughs> okay this is going in a wildly different direction than i thought it was this is great um galaxy quest is the story of basically if star trek was real this is what would happen um, yes. A bunch of actors from a washed up sci-fi show in the 70s who've been doing the convention circuit, just resenting one another for decades, are approached by actual aliens who believe that the show they were on was historical documentation of real events and they need their help stopping an alien warlord. Mm. And from there, it just gets better. It's so funny. The cast is so good. I love Sam Rockwell as the guy who just happened to be there. Just, you know, crewman number six who's constantly worried that he's going to be the one who gets killed to prove the situation is serious. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Alan Rickman as like the Spock of the team is perfect. Genius. Genius Tim pick. Allen and Sigourney yeah. Weaver just going back and forth at each other the whole time. It's wonderful. Uh, it's so funny. I watched a documentary called Never Surrender that was about the fandom that has grown around this movie, like independent of Star Trek, which is crazy. And the Star Trek people were all interviewed. The Next Generation cast were interviewed about this movie. And they were like, why the hell didn't we have that idea? <laughs> like, that is so brilliant. And yeah. I, I think this movie's really picked up steam in the past, like, 10 years. And uh, they were going to do a sequel before um, Alan Rickman tragically passed. And I'm, I'm glad they didn't. I like that it's just one contained, hilarious cult classic. And a film I can go back to constantly. It's so special to me. It's so funny. It's another one I quote all the time. It kicks me that when we did episode 81 of Filmgasm, regardless of what the movie was, I can't believe I didn't do a, a reference to Galaxy Quest because that's the one where Guy, Sam Rockwell, dies and he's they're like, let's do episode 81. He's like, do we have to do episode 81? And they're like, what yeah. difference does it make? He's like, because I died in episode 81 and he panics. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. <laughs> And even without the comedy, it's, it's a really cool sci-fi adventure. And mm. I love that. The makeup is extraordinary. The performances are hilarious. It's, it's wonderful. It's like, this, you know, it's like Star Trek's goofy cousin. And I wish, you know, I, I wish it had a bigger kind of following because 
I don't, I know I literally just said, I'm glad it's one. It's its own thing, but I also am like, there's franchise potential here. That's untapped. Yeah. Yeah. Like, could they do a kind of a spinoff series? But then again, I don't know. I, I got conflicting. I'm clearly, I'm conflicted about this, but <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you, you want it, you want it to remain, you know, exclusive and cool and special, but at the same time, <clears throat> more, I could, I could, I could totally use more. Yeah. With, you know, with update, something updated. Yeah. That, yeah. No, that's, that's a good call. Oh man, I need to rewatch that movie because uh, it, it is uh, a fucking ball, you know, watching that, going through that. Uh, Alan Rickman's definitely my favorite casting in that movie. Just <laughs> the fuck, you know, this is this is the guy that we've like come to just be fearful of, you know, <laughs> and he's 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 just great in that movie. So good pick, man. I didn't know that I. I didn't really think about this one. I mean, I definitely, you know, I was looking through my letterbox and I was just trying to like, oh, maybe this will be con- on Connors. I think I, I think I slotted a different kind of, a different movie that's got kind of the same tone. I thought that would be, or maybe it still will be. Maybe it's one of your top two. That would be great because I would love to talk about it. Um, but my number three is also something I've talked about many times. And it's a movie we've done on this show. It's Fight Club, David Fincher's 1999 you know, just fucking classic. So uh, I, it's it's one of those where immediately when I say I love Fight Club, I'm like, okay, be prepared to defend why you love it, <laughs> you know, because because it's got it's got some fans uh, that I that I don't really like or I don't really agree with. It's it's in the exact same boat as Big Lebowski, where it's like some of you don't know what you're watching and, and you, you you act like this is about one thing, you act like it's just this fighting movie when complete opposite you know so uh i adore david fincher i've talked about that plenty of times uh and we did this movie early early on in this show like episode 11 or 12 or something like that and it's one of those that i would like to take back right it's one of those that i would like to do now or again in the future uh fight club because you know we didn't even give awards out to it you know it was one of those pre we didn't start giving out awards <clears throat> awards till like episode, I don't know, 19 or 20 or something like that. I don't even know where, when it was, you know, it's been, it's been a long time, but those first handful of episodes, we were doing movies that we were both really into, you know, like whiplash and dead poet society and fight club and on the waterfront, you know, these amazing movies. And we didn't give award, give, we didn't get to give awards out to it. So I'd love to kind of take some of those back. We will one day, we will redo whiplash one day. Cause I, I, I know we could both talk about it for ages. Flight Club's kind of in that same same boat. Uh, you know, Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, they're both, and Elena Bonham Carter, I don't think she gets enough credit. They're all three just lights out in this movie. And it's it's David Fincher becoming David Fincher. You know, Seven's great. I love that movie. But I think Flight Club is where he's showing, like, look what I can do as far as editing and just kind of being a freak with <clears throat> with the frame, the framing of the movie. And uh, it's it's it starts... Seven and Fight Club, I guess, was the two like major '90s movies you could point to for him, kind of showing us what we're about to see for the next 20 years, and he's he's still going. So uh, had to have this in here. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's an important important film for me. It's one of those movies I watched uh, like in you know fifth, sixth, or seventh grade somewhere in there. I watched it on TV, and I was like, okay, there's got to be there's got to be more to this that I'm not seeing. You know, so me and my brother went and bought it. My old my older brother Jeremy he bought it on DVD and we, we watched it properly and we were both like 
fuck, this is cool. You know, this is just, this is just really cool. And then as you get older, you start to catch on to what it's really trying to tell you. And I personally think flight club and office space is a great, uh, great double feature. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Fight club is what happens if uh, Ron Livingston doesn't get hypnotized. Yeah. Yeah. So watch fight club first and then office space to kind of cleanse your palate, you know, and have some fun with the, the better alternate reality. (laughs) I, you know how much I love fight club. Um, I didn't include it. Um, I, I was 100% sure you were going to have it. So I knew we were going to be able to talk about it. Uh, But yeah, these other films just, they have a lot more personal significance to me, but I do love fight club. It's one of my favorite theater memories is going to see fight club and then you just showing up on the stairs yeah. next to me being like well, how's it going i'm like well all right yeah i just sat there for a little while yeah it's supposed to be working but i yeah I, I couldn't help myself you you were watching that and another one of my other friends was also uh, on a date one idiot watching that as well uh, uh yeah i don't know what he was thinking there it wasn't and like a first date was it uh, I think it was pretty early and they're not, yeah. obviously they're not together. Uh, <laughs> uh, I remember sitting down next to him for a little while and just kind of like, Oh man, I wish I could, wish I could be you guys right now. This is, this is cool as shit. Cause yeah, it, it definitely all, all Fincher movies. There's going to be an advantage when you see it on the big screen, you know, you're just, there's so much going on so much, so much editing and so much boom, 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 boom. Like look what I can do with the, with the camera. So uh, it's great. It was only up for um, best sound effects editing. So we barely even got to do this movie on Oscar Sunday. It lost the Matrix along with uh, Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace. What a crazy group. Uh, movies that still matter today for sure. So <laughs> yeah, I love, love Fight Club. That's definitely my number three. You're number two. My number two and my number one are constantly shifting depending on what I'm in the mood for on a day-to-day basis. Uh, as I put this together, this was slightly like a smidge, a drop under my number one, and it is the mummy. God, how did <laughs> I should have known? I should have known. <laughs> this is a movie I watch roughly three or four times a year. It's just one of those like I'm bored. I guess I'm watching the mummy. I okay. I don't know what it is about this movie. It is perfect. I I don't understand, and I think lately. Uh, with you know the fervor of fan uh, respect uh, for uh, Brendan Fraser coming out lately, I feel like people are are reclaiming the Mummy at a much quicker pace than I thought, which is cool. I'm glad. Like I keep seeing all sorts of shit about like remember the Mummy, and mm, mm. people love this movie, and I still love this movie. It's uh, I think oh, it's, it's, gonna... it's fucking great. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. It's it's not quite horror, but it is right on the line. And I love that I discovered this movie because my parents didn't like it initially. They, they went to see this in 99 thinking it was going to be a horror movie. And then they saw it and they're like, oh, damn, it's some adventure fantasy comedy. And, like, ah. and then I guess they forgot and they bought it on tape when it came out. And I found the tape. I watched it and I'm like, this is awesome. And I never looked back. The Mummy is one of those, you know, building block movies for me that shaped my love of film, uh, as is my number one. And my number three, for that matter. Uh, yeah, yeah. 99, man. Something about this year. Like, I don't know what happened this time, but like everyone was churning out their best work. Uh, yeah, The Mummy's so much fun. It's basically, you know, an Indiana Jones movie. 
but I love it to death and I will watch it all the time. I watch it forever. I have, I've bought that movie like five times. Every time there's a new version, like new edition, I'm like, Oh, mine. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. I, I love that movie to death. Yeah. God, yeah. I should have known. Okay. Now number one's real interesting because <laughs> I, I, I thought, I thought that was going to be like four or five and I was like, okay, maybe he cut the mummy, which I was like, that's crazy. There's no way he cut the mummy. <laughs> But then I was like, okay, maybe it's number one. And then now I'm like, hold on. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here in my head. I'm having fun just kind of just kind of guessing if, about my friend here. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm thinking what you're thinking, I, I think you might be right. Okay. God, that would be beautiful because I really want to talk about it. If it's not your number one, I'm going to talk about it when this is over. <laughs> I'm going to bring it up. Uh my number two, this is, um, you know, I've seen all these other movies a bunch of times. I've only seen this movie twice. Uh, floored me. I watched it at home one day. So it was on the Criterion channel. I, uh, it was during, during uh, COVID uh, when it first, of course, COVID's still going on, but uh, it was when it first hit, you know, in 2020. And I signed up for Criterion channel and just kind of started inhaling movies on there. I was watching like 20 to 30 Criterion, you know, channel movies per month. And just inhaling this shit out of them. I don't do that anymore, regrettably. Um, that was when my daughter was a lot younger and she just kind of like crawled around and now she like needs attention and, <laughs> and like also likes to watch things. So I, I watch a lot less of like my own stuff uh, these days, but uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's a lot of fun watching her grow compared to movies. Uh, but this one floored me and I became really into uh, certain filmmakers and especially. Um, French filmmakers of different different generations, and one of my favorites that I've taken out of that is Claire Denis. She's like spectacular, and I cannot believe the Academy shuts her out like over and over and over and over. I don't understand. She's one of the most talented directors I I can think of of the past you know twenty to twenty five years, and her movie Beau Travail from nineteen ninety nine just shocks me. This is my favorite movie of hers that I've seen. Uh, it's it's short to the point, quick, and very impactful. Uh, as we there's 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 a lot of like amazing scenes where there's no dialogue. You're just watching kind of these bodies. It's uh, about a uh, an ex foreign legion officer as he leads some of his troops. Um, he's he, he's looking back in the movie. You know he's kind of con- you know he's kind of you know just thinking about his past, thinking about what he was worth, and like well, how the glory days is basically what he's going back to, and it plays with fucking you know uh plays with your you know the, the guy's sexuality and as he's looking at his troops and they always like they're always kind of like running around training and doing different things with their shirts off and sometimes he's looking at them like hmm i don't know and he, he like has a hard time accepting that because of who he is you know he's a legion officer he's supposed to be a badass right but he has a hard time kind of battling that and claire denis is so good at taking someone who's kind of in a place of power and and making them kind of go through something that's that's make, making them like kind of question their identity. So I uh, fucking love this movie. I think it's fucking gorgeous. And I really wish it would have you know been up for some stuff, but it, you know it wasn't. And that's just the way the cookie crumbles for a lot of foreign films uh, when it comes to the Academy. But I would love to uh, spotlight this movie any chance I get. So it's it's not my favorite but it might be the most impressive movie I've seen from 1999. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's an experience. I, I really hope people seek it out. I don't know if it's still on the Criterion channel right now, but there is, it, it is a Criterion edition movie. So I bought it when we went to Los Angeles. Uh, I think, I think at 
I actually think this is one of the ones I got at that giant Barnes and Noble um, that we went to. Uh, I got this in Thief, I believe, at that. Because there was also Amoeba, the giant music and movie store that we went to. But I'm pretty sure I got Beau Travail uh, at the Barnes and Noble. And uh, it's one of, my most, one of my most prized movies in my collection, for sure. That's great, man. I love, I love when you can kind of bring out these obscure, to Americans anyway, uh, you know, foreign cinema, and give them the same fervor of discussion as you would a film like Fight Club. I think that's that's really cool. Um, yeah, I, I am completely unfamiliar with Claire Denis' work. I've seen nothing. Uh, yeah, the the one that a lot of people probably know of is, is High Life because it stars Robert Pattinson. That came out just four years ago, and he's really good in it. It's a cool, real, real weird sci-fi movie. But my favorites are Beautreville, and then probably White Material from 2009. White Material is real good, real good movie. Uh, that's uh, starring what I've read. I haven't seen a lot of her work, but Isabel uh, Huppert, or I'm not really sure how you say her name. What I've read about her, Huper, Huper. I don't. Know. I think it's I think it's Huper. Huper. She is unbelievable to watch and uh, Claire Claire recognized that and like used her in different movies and I think Isabel is in France's eyes she's like their Meryl Streep you know what I mean uh, yeah. she just she's got that and she's constantly up for awards and and whatnot so yeah white, white material is devastating it's a great movie who paired a film in 2016 called L that I wanted yeah. to see but I heard was like viciously disturbing yeah uh, She'll, yeah she goes there yeah but, you know, that was an Oscar nomination for her. So if we want to kind of bring all this out, that would be a good way to do it. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to. I would love to have a reason to watch just more of her work. She's she's that kind of an actress. So, um, yeah, shout out, shout out to Claire and Beau Travail and French cinema of the, <laughs> of the, you know, of the 20th and 21st century. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well done. Um, all right. So that takes me to my one. All right, let's get, let's do our number ones. Let's do it. All right. Uh, I think this is one of like there's a few movies out there that are hidden gems that if you know it, you'll never quite look at certain genres again the same way. And this movie did that to me for the superhero genre. <laughs> yes, and yes. I love to death that you caught on to that almost immediately. Tonight, you were like, I think I, I think I know where he's going. You were right. It's Mystery Men. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what, what a movie. Oh, my God. I was going to say, Quiz Kid Donnie Smith is, is, is incredible in this movie that Connor's going to have. Oh, my God. I love Mystery Men. This movie is so brilliant and ahead of its time and it bombed because nobody was on board with that a year later x-men comes out blows people away if this film had come out just a year two years later this would be this would have been on everybody's radar but no and you know that coupled with a lot of the cast not getting together not working together all that well it just didn't take for some people but i have loved this film my entire life it's so cool uh, basically here's here's the rundown um, in this futuristic style city, Champion City, there is a superhero, Captain Amazing, who's become basically a walking endorsement deal. He has no big bad guy to fight anymore, so he lets one of his arch enemies out of prison so he can fight with him again. And of course, the guy gets the upper hand, locks him away. 
Now, the only help for this city are a bunch of reject superheroes who have no powers but want to help people. And people like Mr. Furious, whose power is that he's very angry. The Shoveler, who shovels very well. I love that. I love that's his explanation. He shovels very well. Yeah, just solid. <laughs> solid. Yeah. There's the Blue Raja, who throws forks. There's the Invisible Boy, who can only become invisible when nobody's looking at him. Um, there's the bowler who has this like haunted bowling ball that she throws around the spleen who has magic farts and the sphinx who is terribly mysterious. Mm-hmm. And these are the heroes who are going to take down Casanova Frankenstein played by Jeffrey Rush, who is amming it up so perfectly. And yes. also has the disco boys at his advantage run by Eddie Izzard, who is just, they're just disco people. It's there's so many layers of ridiculous to this movie that all work together to make this perfect like layer cake of a cinematic experience. I, I I'm so glad I got to show you this movie. We did this on Filmgasm and we had such a blast. That was our first episode that we did in person in a long time uh, after lockdown. So there was a lot of mm. special qualities to that episode that I look back fondly on. Um, Damn, I didn't even, I didn't even remember that. That's yeah, that's that makes sense because you know we're like fucking hyenas ready to ready to pounce on any movie we could get and i mean mystery men is just so so special i i agree with you i think if it would have come out in 2001 i think if it, i think if it came out now people would be like this is fucking genius it, it kind of did this is the boys yeah yeah yeah, like, yeah i think the boys owes a lot to this movie and no one's really talking about that no <laughs> no Mis- mystery men it, it, it's one of my favorite superhero movies of all time. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, uh, it's, it's so good. I'm so glad you showed me it. And, and I, I remember being like, I don't think I've met anyone who like wants to talk about this. And then I, and then I talked to my brother, Jeremy about it. He's like, yeah, I love mystery men. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> what show me? <laughs> You're my brother. It's one of those movies that uh, I think like a lot of people love, but nobody really talks about. It's it's yeah. weird. I think you know. I want this movie to get way a way bigger spotlight. It deserves it. It's wonderful, and it's you know it's cool to see these guys take on the bad guy. You know they ultimately you know win because they they're good at what they do. They have heart. They want to they want to help people. Whereas our hero, you know, the hero who like runs the city is a complete douchebag. Uh, I love when he's in the car and he's bitching about losing his Pepsi endorsement. Mm. <laughs> mm, man, hilarious. Yeah, I could, we could, I could do that that movie again. I need to watch it again. <sighs> Fucking incredible stuff. But who's your what's your who's your favorite character in that movie? Oh shit. Um, <laughs> I, I, mm, I think uh, I think it's uh, Doctor Heller, Tom Waits. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They're like their gadget guy who makes non-lethal weapons like can tornadoes and blame throwers and <laughs> just ridiculous shit that doesn't make any sense. But he's just on, you know, he's he's in it for the ride. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, nothing wrong with that. I, I love how I love how Ben Stiller's kind of playing with the the like dodgeball, like ugh, like crazy aggression. Like, you know, it's just what Ben Stiller's best at. But William H. Macy in that movie just like melts me. He's so funny in that movie. Uh, what a what a like what an era for William H. Macy, you know, Fargo, Boogie Nights. Mystery Men, Magnolia. <laughs> this guy was, this guy was great. He was choosing some of the coolest shit. <laughs> yeah, 
it's everyone is like an a 90s mainstay. You've got Hank Azaria, you've got Janine Garofalo, you've got Paul mm-hmm. Rubens. Like it's so weird how many people just Greg Kinnear, Ricky Jay again. Just, yeah. Greg, yeah. Greg Kinnear is hilarious in that movie. Yeah. God, yeah. I I I knew I was like, this has to be in his top five, and I can't wait to talk about it. Uh doesn't quite make mine, but I I I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I have nine movies written down. Well, if you count these best picture nominees from this year, I have nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 that I'm like, I, these are good movies, you know, Sixth Sense, The Insider, The Green Mile, American Beauty, uh, Toy Story 2, I love, um, Mystery Men, The Limey, Audition, Big Daddy, Bing John Malkovich, 10 Things I Hate About You, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. Love that movie. Eyes Wide Shut. I know a lot of people hate that movie, but I fucking love it. I mostly love it because it's like, holy shit, Tom Cruise went for it in 1999. <laughs> Kubrick and Anderson the same year. Jesus Christ. Did that man have a single thought of his own that year? I don't know. I don't know. And, and you know what's great? Um, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson was obviously my number one's Magnolia. Paul Thomas Anderson was was obsessed with Cruz as a as an actor the same way he was obsessed with adam sandler uh he calls big daddy like one of his 10 favorite movies of all time which is which is so brilliant people want to be like paul thomas anderson's the most pretentious douchebag it's like look up stuff about him you know like he calls tiffany haddish's performance in girls trip like one of the one of the most revolutionary performances of all time it's like that's that's taste that's his own that's him. That's his mind, like working and like taking things for himself rather than being like, well, Big Daddy's not the Matrix, so it can't be as good as all these other movies. No, it's a lot. He's allowed to say whatever the fuck he wants. And, and I love that about him. He, so Eyes Wide Shut was filmed quite a ways before Magnolia. And, uh, you know, he wanted Cruz. Pete wanted Cruz. So he went and visited him, visited him on set. So at one point, Kubrick, Anderson, and Cruz are in like the same room. Oh, <laughs> uh, I would have a fucking aneurysm if I was in that room. I would be freaking out. You know, these guys are just incredible. You know, at, at their job. So, and he like wanted he wanted him. He wanted Cruz really bad. So it took it took it took recruiting. Can you imagine if like you're like 19 years old in LA in 1999. And you got like you're working at a Starbucks near the Eyes Wide Shut set, and you got an order to like deliver coffee. And you go over there, and you, it's the day that Kubrick, Anderson, and Cruz are just chatted up. I'd be, I'd spill it on myself. <laughs> I'd hope to God I got the order right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Otherwise, Kubrick's gonna throw on my face, you know. And Tom Cruise is probably like, "What coffee? I don't drink coffee." Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Paul Anderson's like, probably oh, like, "Thanks, what it, else you got?" Yeah. Yeah, you got any cigarettes? Yeah, <laughs> you know that would be Paul. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's just like a dream. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Clearly, Magnolia. So I, I said right at the beginning, it's my favorite movie of all time. So clearly, in 1999, it's my favorite. Fucking love this movie. And and for as much as I love it, I, I didn't see it until I was. Um, this is not a movie that interested me in my you know teenage years. I saw it when I was tw- twenty or twenty one. I was, I think 21, I was working at the Houston airport and um, I had this really long shift and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to download a couple movies to watch 
because I'm going to have a bunch of downtime, uh, like early in the morning, my job was really easy. It was really boring at times. And I was able to just kind of watch movies and TV shows. I watched like, it's always sunny. I watched about 10 times through while I worked at that airport, but, uh, which I'm, which I was grateful for. I love watching stuff. So it was fine. Uh, I downloaded in the same day. I was like, okay, I need to like, cause I had seen boogie nights. I had seen there will be blood. I had seen the mastery. I'd seen a lot of Anderson's work, but I was like, I need to go ahead and, and watch Magnolia. And I think the other one was hard eight pretty sure. And I was like, so I'm going to like download these movies. I'm going to buy them on Amazon. I'm going to download them on my phone. I'm going to, I'm going to fucking watch them, you know, while I'm at, while I'm at work. So that's what I did. And Magnolia, I mean, it, it just floored me to where I was like, okay, this isn't just, you know, hard eight. I really enjoyed, I had a lot of fun and I still have a lot of fun with that. But Magnolia was a movie where I watched it at work. I had, it was like a 15 hour shift and I went home and watched it again on like a regular TV stayed up till you know four in the morning or something stupid just drinking beers hanging out by myself and i rewatched magnolia on a proper you know a proper tv screen because i was like okay when the credits started rolling on my phone and i was like wait what the fuck like what did i just see i think i just saw something that's like really speaking to me and i watched it again and i was like i was convinced i was like holy shit this is this might be the best thing i've ever seen for me I remember calling my brother. I remember telling him, you have to see this movie. He still hasn't seen it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have, you know, I have two older brothers that you got to know uh, recently at my bachelor party um, this past weekend. And um, Jeremy has seen it. Adam has not. Jeremy was with me on a trip to Colorado one time and I just put it on. I just put it on and I was like, this is what we're doing. You know, I didn't say anything to anybody. And actually it was to visit Kelly, who you just met as well. He used to live in Colorado and my buddy Grant was also with us. So, you know, all these people, all four of us are sit are sitting around and I just put Magnolia on and everybody just kind of shut up because that when Ricky J starts narrating, you're like, what? Hold on. Wait, can you rewind? (laughs) These all connect or, or what's going on? You know, like what's the narrative here? And then you get sucked in and you get sucked in and you get sucked in and you either like pass out, give out, or you're, you're just there for the whole ride. You're just ready for it. And I'm very much ready for it all the time. Uh, watching it. I watched it a couple nights ago. We're recording this on Friday night. Uh, I watched it on Wednesday night. Then last night and Thursday, I watched some like bonus feature stuff and read a bunch about it. It, it does that to me every time though, not just for when we do the podcast, Every time I watch Magnolia or I think about it, or or even if I watch another Paul Thomas Anderson movie, I come back to here. I come right back here. I start looking up things about what do these different scenes mean? What what do these different characters mean? How do they how do they really connect? Like what what is it? Why did he write all these characters to be in this? Why did he put certain things in here? And I start to unravel it slowly but surely. And I feel pretty confident on where I'm at with it now. But I know when I watch it again, I'm just going to do it all over again. And I love that feeling that I get with Magnolia. It's a, it's special. It's very, very, very dear to my heart. And it's kind of one of the movies that if you watch it, you'll probably, probably understand me more as a person. And I, I, I really like movies like that. You know, I have a few that I would say kind of are like my Mount Rushmore and Magnolia is the first choice. So uh, yeah, no question about it being my number one. And we might as well, you know, um, well, well, before we go to our awards for Magnolia and really go in on it, 
are there any other 99 movies that you were like, fuck, <laughs> like I have to cut this? I had a hell of a time cutting the Iron Giant. I wondered. I wondered. Yeah. I, I know that's. I know that's one of your favorites. Iron Giant or Toy Story Two? Which one do you like better? Animated. I, Iron Giant. Okay. All right. Fair enough. That movie is so beautiful and such a great depiction of like friendship and humanity that I I I, I also think it's funny as hell. I sob every time I watch that movie. It's impossible not to. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's an amazing film. Uh, yeah. So I had a hard time cutting that one. And um, one thing on Magnolia real quick. When when I first watched this, it, I believe it was for the Phil Seymour Hoffman episode we did on Filmgasm. Um, yeah. you, you curated yeah. the list and you gave me the list and Magnolia was on there. And you told me it was your favorite movie. And I remember wa- when I finished watching it, I remember the first thing I thought was, I'm so glad I didn't hate this. Because <laughs> I would have felt horrible coming back to you like, hey, your favorite movie ever? I hated it. Yeah, it sucks. You know, I mean, I, I deal with that all the time because there people definitely do not like this movie. There there are, you know, I'd say score-wise, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, Letterboxd, it's generally positive, right? People are like, wow, this, this movie is, is, is powerful. But there are those people out there that are just like, you pretentious asshole, Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, why did you make this? And fair enough, fair enough. No, see, I don't think so. I don't think that's fair. I think that's people either not finishing the movie or not watching it at all. I think if you watch this movie, it's not pretentious. None of his films are, they're all human interest stories. And he himself, you know, is very much, he likes what he likes. He's not, I don't think he's up his own ass. I don't think he is. I think he's just a filmmaker who likes to tell stories his own way. And I, you know, if you don't get on board with that, that's fine, but that doesn't mean it's his problem. That's your problem. Yeah, and he wears he wears his influences on his sleeve, like quite literally. This is this is his version of shortcuts. You know, Robert Altman is his is what he's always Paul Thomas Anderson has always said is his favorite you know favorite director. Rest in peace. That guy's that guy was was awesome. But you can see there's stuff that happens in uh, California Split that's like oh my god that's that's happening in Hard Eight. Or the long goodbye. Oh my God, that's happening in, in Boogie Nights. Some of the party scenes. So like, it's very clear that he's not afraid to be like, I love the past. I love who came before me and taught me what I know. And I think there's something extremely admirable about that. Without without straight up copying them, I think there's something cool about almost kind of like when like in music, a lot of rappers will sample stuff. I think that's cool as shit. You find an old 50s song that had a kind of nice tempo to it. I'm going to sample that. I think it's the same thing with, with movies where you're paying homage. You're trying to be like, I recognize, I recognize game. I recognize talent and something that inspired me. So I, I've always loved that about PTA. I think he's not afraid. Same thing. One of the reasons I love Tarantino is he's not afraid to be like, I love film. I'm crazy about it. Here's my take on it. Of all the things I've jammed into my brain, here's my take on it. Like, that's cool. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, a big part of it is, for me anyway, I do that exact shit. You know, in my own work, I write, I write uh, you know, references to shit that I like. And yeah. that's just what people do when you are all-encompassing in your likes and dislikes is you can't help, but it, it intrudes into your own life, like kind of against your will. Mm. It's just part of who you are. And yeah. you can see that with Paul Thomas Anderson. I think that's why I like him so much is because he's the exact opposite of what everybody constantly tells me he is. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm on that side of the fence as well. Um, I, 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 it is long, right, Magnolia? It's long as shit, and I, I, I get it. Some people don't have the attention span for, for a three-hour drama about regret and and love and loneliness and the sins of the father. But feed me that shit all day. I'll take it for everybody else. I'll fucking, I'll fucking take it. Um, before, before we get to our awards, last movie I want to talk about that I was surprised you didn't ever mention is Sleepy Hollow. Fuck yeah, that's right. Sleepy Hollow. I, I do enjoy a nice, a nice Tim Burton film. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a good one too. That's, that's a gorgeous movie. It is. It's beautiful. It's creepy. It's a perfect Halloween movie. Um, yeah, I love it. But you know, this is ninety nine. I had to, I had to yeah, cut some, yeah. Some, some favorites. This was yeah. <laughs> kill, kill your darlings. Do, do you do you know who the cinematographer for Sleepy Hollow is? I, I, I do not. Children of Men, Gravity, Birdman, The Revenant, really, <laughs> Tree of Tree of Life, <laughs> Emmanuel Lubezki. God uh, damn, that, that's his. Um, that's his second nomination. I think of of eight or nine. Um in that category. Uh, his first one was that movie with Corone from 95. Um, fuck. I can't, it's escaping me the name of it, but he's, he's the only, you know, we talk about Deacons all the time. One of our awards is called the Deacons, but Lubeski, when it comes to, comes to winning, he won three in a row, three years in a row with gravity Birdman and the Revenant. And he should have with those three movies. <laughs> and, and no one's ever, no one's ever done that. No one's ever won three in a row, three consecutive years. Four, yeah, movies that are amazing. And then, yeah, he has eight or nine total nominations. The guy's a fucking rock star. And Sleepy Hollow, is he is showing his style. He's like, look look at this shit. I'm, I'm advanced. <laughs> it's awesome. I was a little surprised. Uh, I, was, I, was thinking you, I was thinking you might have had a Talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, okay, that was the other movie I wanted to mention. I love the Talented Mr. Ripley Um uh, yeah, I meant to kind of tackle all of the um, fucking like Oscar movies, like The Hurricane. I like too with Denzel Washington. Yes, Talented Mr. Ripley. I love, 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 love that movie. Another great Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. How's the peep and Tom? <laughs> uh, yeah, he, yeah, that, that movie's great. It's, it's it's fucking it's thrilling that movie, and uh, has you know Matt Damon and Jude Law just fucking knocking it out of the park so uh yeah that's a great one to point out i mean yeah and, and those those best picture nominees while i would have a different group i like the cider house rules is not really for me but the green mile is really good insider i fucking love michael mann so that is like as michael mann as it gets uh the sixth sense is great and american beauty is good so i like that group i'm i'm like okay with it i remember when we did american beauty we were both kind of like yeah 99 has more to offer but they could have done worse you know yeah, exactly. This, whenever we, yeah, whenever we come to that discussion, I immediately think of Fanny. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, it could, it could always be worse. It definitely could be worse. I mean, come on, you know, this is this 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 movie stuff. You know, we've gotten this Academy stuff. We've gotten kind of good at you know just picking which years are are more powerful than others. And and 99, while yes, it has more to offer, it still is. You know, Tony Collette was nominated for Six Sense fuck yeah you know angelina jolie won in that category like there's there's good Catherine keener for being john malkovich like in the same category cool you know that that, that works for me 
uh, yeah, I, I like this this ceremony. I'm glad we've you know covered it before. And we've so we've done American Beauty, Fight Club, and now Magnolia. Jesus Christ. That is that is nice. <laughs> like lighten up. <laughs> I, I feel like uh, next time we go to 99, I personally I'd, I'd like to tackle Malkovich. I'm cool with that. Or if we really want to go like just, just way different path, we could do Austin Powers despite Shackness. <laughs> Oh my god, that would be such an odd episode. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't feel we've right. never done we've never done a movie like that on here, which would be hilarious. I mean, I was up for makeup, like okay. <laughs> it counts. It counts. It does. It counts just as much as Fight Club, which is which is crazy. Uh Tarzan. I haven't even mentioned Tarzan. Yeah, we could do this forever. Uh, uh, 99 is, is wonderful. There's even a book about how this is the best movie year ever. It's a great book. Uh I've mentioned that. I think I've mentioned that book a few times before on different different shows. But uh, let's get let's get into Magnolia. Let's talk about like why this movie speaks to us and why it's so good. Uh, so let's do some awards to kind of just fucking get into it. The Tarantino Award is for best quote of the movie. The Ennio Morricone Award is for uh, best music moment. Which with this movie, there's it's one of the rare occasions where you have you have you have a score by John Bryan. I love that guy to death. And then you have a like soundtrack by Amy Mann, and almost every song that appears is by Amy Mann. And then you have those two, you have those two songs by Supertramp, and like in the middle of the movie, and you're like, "What?" <laughs> it's just such an odd choice. Uh, but I love that. I love that about this movie that it has these these decisions that are being made constantly. Uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award, which is great because he's in this movie. God bless him. Rest in peace. Uh, that's for the best performance of the movie. And then we have the Roger Deakins Award for the best scene of the film. So let's go ahead and get into it. What's your Tarantino? Uh, I love this line because only Paul Thomas Anderson could make this a believable line in a movie and not it, like, have it not be ridiculous. And it's when Phil's on the phone trying to get a hold of Frank's people. And he's talking to the tech support guy or the the you know, magazine guy. And he goes, I know this sounds silly. Like this is the scene in the movie where the guy's trying to get a hold of the long lost son, you know, but this is that scene. And I think they have those scenes in movies because they're true, you know, because they really happen. See, this is the scene in the movie where you help me out. <laughs> it felt like Anderson's just trying to like, all right, how do I convince this guy? And he's like, fuck it. I'm writing it. So why don't I just say what I'm doing? Yeah. And yeah. it works. Cause it's like, yeah, if somebody told me that I'd be like, I'm about to be a part of something. And I, I try to help mm. the guy. I, I, I get it. It's a good line. Yeah, it is a great line. And, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, while, while he's given a pretty subtle role, he's, he's in it. He's in it quite a bit. He gets to act alongside fucking Jason Robards. Like, what a, his last movie. Yeah. What a treat. What a treat to be PSH in that scenario. Uh, he, he's so fucking good at anything you give him. It does it like it just doesn't matter. And PTA understood that more than anybody, like very clearly. He used him over and over. My favorite scene of Heart Eight is that little bit where PSH shows up. One of my favorite scenes from Boogie Nights is when Scotty PSH comes up and the fucking camera goes to like the it just cones in on Dirk Diggler on um on Eddie on Mark Wahlberg. And Scotty's like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna go talk to that fucker, you know? And and then you know. I'm such an idiot. I'm such an idiot. And then in Magnolia, this, this role of Phil Parma, 
completely different than those two, like complete 180 from those two kind of wacky, you know, wacky performances where he's, he's really just, just, he's given it his all as Phil Parma. He's subdued. He's really like restrained as a, as a performer. And that is so not easy, you know, <laughs> like, like man and his reactions to Tom Cruise later in the movie are real. They're real reactions. This, a lot of the stuff that happens in this movie is, was sure, you know, PTA wrote it and whatnot, but a lot of it is reacting to acting and, and PSH did not know Tom Cruise was going to go in like that. He did not, he had no idea. And so that is, he looks frightened for a reason. And, and, and God, I love that dude to death. You know, he's, he's my favorite of all time. My favorite guy to do it. So I love that line. I love the whole story of him being on the phone. I love when he's playboy. You guys got those? <laughs> a loaf of bread, uh, peanut butter. Uh, <laughs> you hustler, you got, you got that? Yeah. <laughs> and the guy's like, it'll be 3119, you know, and he's like, okay, thanks. You know, or, or at the end when he's like, there are frogs falling from the sky. <laughs> like only PSH could say it out loud. Like he's the only one in this movie who could tell us what's happening. And I love that you chose that. I, that's a great pick. He's basically in this film, he's a witness to a much larger mm. story that he realizes he's not a part of, but wouldn't happen without him. And I, I love that kind of, nuance of that character that like he doesn't need to be here but he also does it's and now psh i thought i think his best talent and that i mean let, let me backtrack that one of his best skills was um reacting yeah he reacts like nobody else just the way he like you know looks off into the distance with tears in his eyes his mouth agape you're like that this is really happening right now i'm <laughs> I don't know what that guy had, but it's a once in a fucking lifetime talent. And I'm, I miss him every fucking day. Man. Yeah, me too. It's gnarly what he was able to do. He, he, he has that bit when, when he, for him and Tom Cruise first, like me, which by the way, seven years later, they're in mission impossible together. Fucking oh, cool. That's right. That's, that's right. My favorite, that's my favorite mission impossible movie because PSH brings the heat. Uh, he's the greatest villain of the whole franchise. Uh, <laughs> But that scene when when he's like, let those dogs touch me and I will fucking drop kick them, you know, and PSH is like, all right. <laughs> you know? And and they're, you know, they walk in the house and PSH starts walking and he's like, oh, like, you know, your dad's this way. And Tom Cruise is like, let me, like, let me, let me stand here for a second. And so PSH also stands there for a second and he puts his hands on his hips for like a second. And then he crosses his arms because he's like, I, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm with this guy, who, this Frank T.J. Mackey guy, who's a complete fucking egotistical maniac, like Tom Cruise, and 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 I'm losing my mind. You know, like I, I don't, I, I'm about, I'm about to witness something maybe really dark, and you know, I'm just gonna make sure the dogs stay away because there's like nine of them. <laughs> oh my god, genius! That's the best storyline of the movie. Is 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 Phil Parma, Earl Partridge, and Frank T.J. Mackey, those three, like what happens with them is, is, is my favorite, like my favorite line of, you know, storyline of the movie. Um, what's great about your pick is you're, you're, you're calling out them calling out movie making in the film. I did the same thing uh, towards, towards the end of the movie. We hear Ricky Jay's voice again. 
uh, he's the opening narrator. It's this long, amazing thing where he tells the tale of, you know, three, there's three different stories that where it's these crazy, you know, you could call them coincidences or you can call it fate, whatever you want to call it. They're, they're fascinating. And I love that opening, but at the end, you know, towards the end of the movie, he comes back and he says, and there's the account of the, of the hanging of three men and a scuba diver and a suicide. There are stories of coincidence and chance of intersections and strange things told and which is what, and which is which, and who only knows. And we generally say, well, if that was in a movie, I wouldn't believe it. Someone's so-and-so met someone else's so-and-so and so on. And is the humble opinion of this narrator that strange things happen all the time. And so it goes. And so it goes. And the book says, we may be through with the past, but the past ain't through with us. I knew that bit was going to be your line. Yeah, I just didn't know which part of the movie it was. Yeah. So that line, I think, has confused a lot of people with this movie. I think some people think, think that it's referring to the Bible, which it's not. It's referring to Freemason doctrines essentially there's there's bits <clears throat> from books about the free about freemasonry there's a book in the movie stanley the kid he's yeah. reading you know he's in the library and there's a book of you know it's like the the history of freemasonry or whatever is like sitting in the corner there and when we see ricky jay's character the producer of of the show what do kids know he puts his arm around um Fucking Philip Baker Hall, another fucking PTA legend. He puts his arm around him and he says, you know, upon the level we met. And that is also from the Book of Freemason. On the, on the level is a saying that a lot of Freemasons say to each other on the level. It's always been this kind of kind of like term, this like phrase that people use to like, are you in or are you out? You know, kind of like, kind of like, if you know, you know. And with him narrating Ricky Jay and his character, he has the Freemason ring on his, on his hand, the whole movie. It's so cool. It's all, all these like little symbols. That line is from, you know, doctrines of, of Freemasonry, that line of we may be through it the past, but the past ain't through it thus. And it's said multiple times through the movie. You know, I think my favorite time it's, it's set. I mean, I love, I love that paragraph that I just read. I think it's amazing. I think it, I think Ricky Jay is, is unbelievably good at, at kind of wrapping this movie together. But when William H. Macy says it, when he's ranting in the bar, you know, and, you know, it's a dangerous thing to confuse children with angels, you know? <laughs> you know no, it's not. <laughs> William H. Macy's losing his mind. And as he's going to the restroom to throw up, he says, we may be through with the past, but the past isn't through with us. You know, I, I, I love it. And Philip Baker Hall says it, you know? these different characters, they say, they say it in the movie. And so it's this recurring theme of you might, you might be looking forward, but that doesn't really matter. Like fate doesn't have it that way. And Tom Cruise, Frank TJ Mackey, when he's talking to, how about those scenes with April Grace? She is amazing in this movie as well. When they're going back and forth, he talks about over and over through that interview about how it's super dangerous to go back to the past. The past will hinder you from moving forward. And he's like, I tell all of my men, you know, you know, the seduce and destroy. He's like, I tell all of them through this, never look back to the past. It's going to, it's going to hold you down, you know? And we find out why we find out why Frank TJ Mackey believes this philosophy and doesn't want to look back because it's painful. And reckoning with that as a person, 
is so huge to not just kind of mindlessly move forward and start doing things that's dangerous because it can lead you down a hole, a rabbit hole of not being yourself. And like, clearly a person's not supposed to become Frank TJ Mackey. You're not supposed to become a guy who's yelling out, respect the cock, tame the cunt. You know, you're not supposed to say that as a human being, like (laughs) you're not, you know, you're not, you don't want to put people in a box, but you are not supposed to do that. You are not supposed to treat individuals a whole gender that way and so it's showing how dangerous it is in fact to not look back and heal and process things i love that about this movie i love that it forces you to like fucking reckon with that go back and and like go to therapy fucking talk to somebody about it get help Uh, i think i think pt is all about that through his movies where he's like you're kind of in control of this, this, this madness around you. You know, uh, you're allowed to, you're allowed to be in control of how you think, you know, and how you process things uh, while everything else might be, you know, chance or destiny or whatever you, you ultimately can, can change that by your attitude and by how you, how you, how you think and how you process things. I think it's amazing, man. I, I love that in this movie. That, that, that line is so cool. You know, I, it could be taken as kind of like, whatever, that's, that's kind of a fake, a fake big line in a movie to say, we may be through the past, but the past ain't through with us. I think, and I agree, but in this context, I think it's incredible how it's used. God damn, man. That was a lot of top notch analysis. Uh, shit. I, I love this movie. <laughs> I didn't notice all the Freemason shit. Um, I noticed the book on Stanley's table, but I didn't know, I didn't know all of that was like, you know, is Anderson, but you know, if he's a Mason or if he just is fascinated by all that stuff, he's, he's fascinated by it. Some people think he is, but I think he's mostly obsessed with like ideas, which is why we get the ending we do. So I'll I'll be talking about that later. Uh, There's more, there's more like cool symbolism with a different religion in this movie. So (laughs) I I think, I think, I mean, look at the master, like he's, God rhymes with God, you know, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson fans say that, you know, it's, he, he's obsessed with individuals playing God. Like it's a fascinating thing. It, yeah, it really is. And I, I also do love how this movie does kind of force you to take stock, to have kind of a, a self reckoning as you are taught the right and the wrong way to process grief and loss and forgiveness and hatred. Mm-hmm. And it's it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, you know, the first time I saw this, I wasn't expecting that. And it did, you know, it, it forced me to evaluate some things. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, Frank confronting his father, you know, brought to light some some of my own issues. And that was that was a powerful moment. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I think this movie deserves a lot of praise for the way it handles that and the way it kind of holds your hand on everybody's own individual journey who might be dealing with similar issues. It doesn't force you to make a decision. It just brings to light a couple of options you could have and hopes you take the right one. And that's, that's kind of incredible. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I, 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 I try to tell people when like, I'm like, this is one of my favorite movies. They're like, Ugh, weird. I'm like, not really, <laughs> not really. It's a pretty, pretty, pretty blatantly honest movie. Uh, it's pretty like in your face about, being a human kind of fucking sucks sometimes. And it's okay to accept that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I like when, when movies, you know, when Hollywood can be so fucking dishonest so often of just the way people 
like handle each other. And I like that in my experience with Anderson, he really understands the human experience and understands the individuality we all deal with and how all of our journeys aren't the same. Uh, and Magnolia really spotlights that. Um, mm. Yeah. I totally get why this is your favorite movie. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, so that, that was, that was just our Tarantino. Jesus Christ. Uh, in your Morricone award, best music moment. Did you go with a bit of the score from John Bryan? Or did you go with an Amy Mann song or maybe one of those super tramp songs? I don't know. I nearly went with a super tramp song. I, I love quiz kid, Donnie Smith's uh, entrance into the bar, almost like, you know, like the rock stars here with goodbye stranger playing. I thought that was really cute. Yeah. But wise up by Amy Mann uh, broke my heart. Yeah. Fucking uh, shit. Every character at their absolute lowest point in the movie all singing this song simultaneously, you know, echoing different problems that they're each having. I thought that was beautiful and just moving. And I, I loved it. I, I immediately wrote that down. Uh, yeah. I'm surprised that wasn't, wasn't the song that was up for a, uh, for best song. I would have gone with that one. Yeah. I, I love, I love the whole, I think Amy man is fucking power, powerful, powerful performer, singer, songwriter. She's great. And PTA basically sought her out and was like, "Hey, you want to write? You want to write some songs for me? You know, <laughs> for my movie?" And she did. It, it's this amazing soundtrack. And uh, yeah, "Save Me" is the one that's up. But I, I agree with you. I think "Wise Up's great. I think "Driving Sideways" is great. I think "Momentum" is fucking amazing. But my favorite is, is her is her cover of "One" at the beginning of the movie. Mm. One is the yeah. It's 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 a completely unique take on, on that classic song. Um. It's right after Ricky Jay is done narrating and we cut to like the movie and, you know, you start listening to lyrics, you start getting kind of into a mood of, okay, this is going to be something different, you know, buckle up. And that's where PTA is like, look what I can do. You know, look at all my tricks of, of editing, like a freakazoid, like I'm on speed, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's cutting the different things. And what, what's like really great about that song playing and what's going on is, you, you 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 feel the connection before the movie even starts. You feel obviously Ricky Jay kind of spells it out for you, but that first time you watch it, you're like, okay, what what, what are we about to get into here? And you see Officer Jim, and on his TV is Frank T.J. Mackey. You see Stanley and his dad, his dad taking him to school. What's on the TV? Frank T.J. Mackey. You know, and you're like, okay, these people are about. They're like, this is going to be a story of intertwining. This is going to be these people are going through the same timeline, you know, there it's the same, it, it's, it's a day, it's a day in the life of these people. And you start to feel that. And, and Amy Mann is like the perfect person to kind of bring that all together. But yeah, I think, I think she's great. Um, I've started to listen to her on my own because of this movie and she's amazing. You know, it's, she's very up PTAs, you know, kind of, kind of alley in his wheelhouse of, of music that he likes, but the guy, the guy's so good at choosing music for soundtracks I mean, Boogie Nights is without the soundtrack. Boogie Nights would be so weird. It would be so odd if th that movie didn't have the powerful soundtrack that it does, because um, because it completely abuses the music over and over and over and over. You know, it's a movie about you know porn stars who are like constantly going and dancing, you know, disco dancing. You know, it's like we they need music really bad to like keep the keep things going. Well, I like how the music's basically the audience's cocaine in that movie. Yeah. 
Like you need yeah. that or else reality is going to get really fucking dark really quickly. So yeah. without the music, you know, with the music, it lulls you into a false sense of happiness of like, oh, this is funny. This is cute. I'm yeah. enjoying this. When in reality, like you're not really paying attention to the dark underbelly of this thing, just like the porn industry. That's fucking brilliant. Mm. So good. God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. He's the man. And then, and then you know, like uh, licorice pizza. The fuck? Like, why didn't anybody use Paul McCartney the way he used Paul McCartney in that movie? <laughs> you know, like it's just, and David Bowie, you know, he's just amazing artists that it seems like it's on the nose, but like, nah, PTA just has an ear for things and, and he's great at inherent vice has an awesome soundtrack. It's one of my favorite soundtrack moments of any movie ever is uh, when Neil Young is playing and it's going back to kind of the past, the relationship that we're watching between uh, Joaquin and Catherine Waterston, when it goes back to them, just kind of walk, running through the rain and it's a journey through the past by Neil Young. It's like, fucking genius you know <laughs> it's so good he's great at that so i do think that magnolia while it doesn't have a great amy man soundtrack it would be interesting to see magnolia with a a peer soundtrack of different artists throughout the whole movie it would be interesting i would i would watch it <laughs> um i think the super tramp playing at the bar you know brad the bartender i have a lot of love to give <laughs> <laughs> I love uh fucking what's his name uh you know fucking Klopek. I don't know is a real Henry Gibson I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love him just there sure as like right. you know the old queen who's just like there every night to ogle the bartender, and is just constantly giving Donnie shit for his sad lonely existence. It's such a a great like little role for him, but he kills it. Yeah, just fucking knocks it out. Yeah, yeah, you're you couldn't be. Couldn't be more spot on with that. I I love those scenes with William H. Macy. He's great. One of my, the funniest parts of the movie is when he just drives through the 7-Eleven, like straight into the glass. <laughs> what the Alfred, fuck was that? And then Alfred Molina fires him. You're like, Alfred Molina, look, he's back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, where are we going to get the money for the braces? You were going to fucking ask me, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is bullshit. Oh, the timing. The timing. <laughs> Solomon, give me another chance. <laughs> uh so good i love it so yeah yeah i so we both we both went amy man there uh you went with wise up which is yeah it's great great bit and i went with one um so we kind of went i went to the beginning you went like towards the end i love that um some more half in a word here we go you know we got john c Riley. you got julianne moore who's just going for everything in this movie she's put she's all in uh PSH, Tom Cruise. Uh, there's, there's like William H Macy. There's like eight or nine you could make a case for. But who, who do you have? Oh, this was, this was tough. Um, real quick, I do want to just say, I one of my favorite things of Anderson's '90s run is what he brings out in John C. Riley. Uh, yeah, you, you would never think because like our generation, we watch Talladega Nights and Step Brothers, and yeah. it's like, oh, okay, this is what he does. He's shaking bake. He's fucking silly. No, no, no. The guy's got chops. <laughs> yeah, he's just doing that stuff to probably unwind from the dark shit he has to work with for Paul Thomas Anderson. But um, yeah, I thought I just wanted to say that um, I did go with Tom Cruise. Same. In my mind, yeah, there's a case for everybody. But this is this is like his movie. <laughs> it really is. And I know I did just basically take an hour and 40 minute shit on him with cocktail on Beyond the Bad this past friday but that's that show and this is this is the other show 
Cocktail's <laughs> fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Still, two hundred million dollar box office for him somehow. Uh, yeah, it don't matter. He it, you give him he's bartending two hundred million dollars. If he's up in the air as a fucking pilot, billion dollars. You know, if he's fucking Mission Impossible, billion dollars. Like the guy's just a he's a rock star. But this is like what happened to this Tom Cruise? Frank T.J. Mackey is such a layered character. You, you want to hate him, but he's so fucking tortured. You can't like where all this comes from. Like you get it. Like, you know, you would try to be the worst person you could be if life had done that to you too. Like it makes sense mm. like, how he became this way. And even, you know, his seminars are hilarious. His introduction with the fucking 2001 music and like the yeah. spotlight. So that that's that's uh, PTA's ode to Kubrick for letting him talk to Cruz on set. That's fucking beautiful. I love that. Yeah, so cool. My God, <laughs> Jeez, I hope so I cool. I hope yeah. I can like you know I don't know get him a bagel one time or something so he like gives me a little something in a movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's some extra named Connor, and I'm like, hey, that that, that was for me. <laughs> yeah, he like combines our names, Connor Johnson. We'll take it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, uh, but yeah, Cruz is lights out in this film. And I love seeing the evolution of Frank TJ Mackey from just, you know, self help Tony Robbins douchebag being interviewed, uncovering the childhood trauma, refusing to talk about it, talking to his father and confronting all of his demons. That story is so cool. And, you know, that feels a little personal. And I wonder where like all that came from. Uh, with, with, with Cruz? With him and Anderson, I wonder like where all that came from. Uh, yeah, I've, I've definitely tried to figure that out. So there's like a famous story. A, a lot of people don't know if it's like totally true or not. There's a famous story where they were like shooting that scene between Robards and Cruz. And they like did, did some initial, you know, kind of like, okay. And, and apparently PTA was like, yo, like what the fuck? Like, think about your dad dude like get into it like i know like i know what you have because cruz has a troubled you know relationship with his father and so and it shows it's shown throughout his career it's like very obvious like he's clearly running from something and it's gotten us one of the greatest movie stars of all time but that's that's sad and so you get what we get when he starts just he's like you stupid prick like you cocksucker he's like i know you like that one you know like Shit. he's like i wish you would fucking go away you know you asshole like he's just going like just trying to like bury him while he's alive i like that's just that's just that that, that director actor thing where it's like at some time like sometimes you have to like you have to push people to like do their job and like while that's tough and that I could never do that. I'm not a person to ever do something like that to like push someone to that nth degree. I mean, this is why we get what we get. You know, this is, you know, for as like shitty as some people like Kubrick, as far as like shitty as he treated, has treated people or did treat people on set. Like, I hate to say it, but like that's the product shows by him being a complete conniving asshole throughout filming. We wouldn't talk about The Shining like we do without what he did, you know? And, like, I hate that. I hate that that's reality. But like, our art takes, like, guts, like, serious guts. And I think PTA, like, I believe, I believe that story. I believe that story of him 
Cause it's, it's like, where on earth does Tom Cruise go in that, you know, like there's veins popping out of his forehead during that scene, you know, yeah. when he, he's looking at him, you know, he's looking at, and this is, this is Jason Robards. Like this is a legend that he's staring into. So he clearly like went blank and was like, that's my dad. I'm about to just destroy him right now. And we'll get the scene. And that's why Philip Smurr Hoffman is like, Oh my God. You know, like he just has no choice, but to just drop his, his jaw just drops. And you get, you get, in my opinion, you get Tom Cruise's greatest acting moment of all time. I will second that. I, what happened to this Cruise? I, 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 I don't know. I he <sighs> tapped into something there, man, that we never saw again. And yeah. God yeah. I, yeah. I, I love his work. I love his filmography from, you know, like risky business. I'm not a huge Top Gun guy, but I am a big color of money guy. And uh, born on the 4th of July, Rain Man, and a few good men, and The Firm, and Mission Impossible, and Jerry Maguire, you know, and Magnolia, and Eyes Wide Shut, and Mission Impossible 3, and, you know, so on and so forth. I love Fallout. I think Fallout is fucking great. Uh, I, I like um, Edge of Tomorrow. I like that movie, too. You know, like, I think he, he just has, like, 20 gems throughout his career, but there's something about this cruise that is like, what could we have gotten? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, what mm. could we have gotten? Not just a movie star, but like one of the greatest actors to like actors, like a Daniel Day Lewis to live. I don't know. I think that if Cruz had valued his craft more than he valued his faith, I think we really could have gotten something amazing because it was, you know, the master that destroyed that relationship. Uh, and that's just tragic. I'm, I wonder what they could have brought out in each other had Cruz been able to put that shit aside. Yeah, you know, PTA was like, let me see what I can do here. You know, just to ruffle some fucking feathers. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Imagine him like, hey, Cruz, I got this great script I just cranked out. I'd love you. Yeah. It. What do you think? And yeah. then just wait for the phone call. <laughs> yeah. Jesus and and the, the, the phone call is something like what happens in Tropic Thunder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. Oh my God, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy Cruz. He's something else. I, we we could talk about him. You anybody could talk about him all fucking day. He's that kind of that kind of a guy, that kind of an actor, and that big of a star, you know. Um, but I, I I just will always see his role as Frank T. J. Mackey as his crowning achievement. Um, while. While it's while it's technically a supporting role, he he wins this movie like hands down. I, in second place, I'd probably say John C. Riley. I think he's amazing in this. I love John C. I love his. I love the cop character and the storyline and the kind of narrating we he gives us. He's kind of like a voice of reason at times, and I love that about him. So, but but I don't know. I mean, I'm I've always been Frank T. J. Mackey. Like he 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 makes this movie go to a different level. For me, runner-up is William H. Macy. Okay. Totally uh, fair. I just love the idea of a, you know, a gifted kid who got screwed over by his parents and left with absolutely nothing and is still holding on to the one thing he ever had that was important to him. Still calling himself Quiz Kid Donnie Smith in his, like, 50s. Uh, yeah, I'm Quiz Kid Donnie Smith. It's <sighs> so sad. I think a lot of it is, like, as a kid, I was, I was in the gifted program. And there is this weird kind of, like, they look at you different. They treat you different, like you're a novelty. And I, I remember thinking, like, this is odd. Like, why are, like, why am I here? 
And yeah, there is like, they bring that up in the movie, especially with Stanley being like, I'm not a toy. Mm. Like, I love that they brought that up. That's something that no one talks about is the way we treat smart children as like these weird aliens who are like there to dance for our amusement. It's yeah. really fucked and it destroys them as we see with quiz kid, Donnie Smith. He is not a stable human being. Um, yeah. I, there's some, there's like six or seven movies shoved into this thing. And yet it all works pretty seamlessly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I think you could rank kind of the storylines, but I don't know, like if you'd take any of them out completely, you know, I think that's what people usually are like, Oh, I maybe take out this character. Like, then you make the movie two and a half hours instead of three hours and eight minutes. Like I'm, I'm here for that discussion, but I like until someone gives me a legitimate reason and logical, you know, take this out. Then the rest of the movie still stands as it is. I just, I don't know. I, I do want, I wanted more about Jimmy Gator's really fucked up relationship with his daughter. And the idea that he, he might have molested her. He doesn't know. Like, Jesus Christ, that's a dark moment, man. Yeah, yeah. Phil Hall and Melora Walters have one of the best scenes of the movie when she's just like, get the fuck out of my house. And then when, and then when her mom comes, fucking Melinda Dillon, holy shit, she comes to console her at the end of the movie and the camera fucking zooms in on a photo and it says, but it did happen. Did you notice that? Like man. What that fucking man. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Right? yeah it's fucking oh. crazy. I love oh, that Gator God. gets saved by a fucking frog coming through his ceiling window or as a his sunlight. What's it called? The uh, skylight. Uh, yeah. So and then and then probably his house catches on fire though, you know? Uh because <laughs> so okay. That, that, that's a great way to talk about our deacons because uh, mine's definitely that some of that stuff. <laughs> what's what's your favorite scene in the movie or best scene, however you want to see it? Um, I I went pretty predictable. Um, it is uh, Frank confronting his father. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a showcase. It's a showcase. It's like it's beautiful. Here's acting. Yeah, here's acting. Yeah, from from Frank just sitting in his car singing "Wise Up," like debating whether or not he should go see his father. To showing up and like being super aggressive to Phil. Yeah. <laughs> I will fucking dog. Yeah. <laughs> Three times he says that. And you believe him. You're like, yeah, he, w- he totally would. Yeah, this yeah. dude has punched an animal before, 100%. Uh, uh, I, love when, I love when Tom Cruise is on the phone when he's finding out all this stuff and he's like, I want you to do your fucking job. I love his assistant fires right back. I am doing my fucking job, Frank. Yeah. Like she clearly has to deal with this a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's an animal, man. Like Jesus, Tom Cruise is so good. (laughs) So good in this movie. The, when we first see him exit the stage and he's starting to get ready for the interview and like his clothes are off and he's like, I'm like Batman. (laughs) He does that weird, like backflip like thing. Jesus Christ. Uh, You can clearly tell there's a sock in his, in his crotch. Yeah, just to make himself look a little bigger. Yeah, yeah. He's in his hair. His hair. Like that was a choice. That was definitely a choice. His his wardrobe was a choice. Oh yeah. I, I fucking love all of those decisions for, for Tom in this movie. I and yeah, I yeah, we've been robbed. We've been robbed of more shit like this. <laughs> I love when he comes back to the stage after the break, after he's been confronted by the reporter oh, in his office oh. game. And he's like, turn to page 23 in your blue book. Like, and he's like, fuck. And he flips the table. He's like, your white packet. I want your white packet, page 23. <laughs> it's like, shit. 
I love when he's like, men are shit. <laughs> he's like, what? Men are shit. Isn't that what they tell us? You know, he just goes on that rant where he's like, mommy wouldn't let me try out for soccer. <laughs> Dude, Tom Cruise, you, you have outdone yourself, my friend. And then he gets real with the whole, you know, I will not apologize for who I am. Like, yeah. he's talking to his dad right there, straight yeah. up. Like, that's when he just, I think for me, that's when he decides I got to go confront this prick. Yeah. And it and, starts now. Yeah. yeah. And when he does, and he just, like you said, you know, he, he vanishes and he just taps into something and becomes in the, like, is in the moment and just flips out and starts sobbing at Jason Robard's bedside. I'm like, I've never seen this cruise before. And I never did after. Yeah. So, no, I, 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 damn it. Yeah. And, and, and what's, what's the, the funniest thing about all this is he lost to Michael fucking Kane in the cider house rules. Like, Oh, oh we are going to talk about that a, a lot yeah. in a bit here. God, that yeah, is what's just fuck? a fucking joke. Um, yeah, that's that's a great Deacons. I do think like for a proper scene, that is that is the best. I I figured you would write that down. So I would like to go into the frogs. <laughs> uh, uh, pretty ambitious, I'd say. Um, having having raining frogs kind of end your movie, uh, but man, I think I think it's weird. It's creepy. It's somehow makes sense in this story you know and you know paul thomas anderson wrote that into the movie and then he had a friend read his screenplay and the friend was like hey hey like you know this is like from the bible right like and pta is like fuck (laughs) (laughs) and his friend's like like you you're just trying to do something really weird when when actually like this this was like a thing that happened in the Bible. And he's like, well, shit, like, where is that at? Exodus uh, chapter eight, verse two. He thought he made that up. What I think happened is he subconsciously read about that maybe as a kid, as like a kid and was like, fuck yeah, raining frogs. That's crazy. And then as an adult was like, I got to put this in my movie. And then did another line, (laughs) you know, Uh, so I, again a lot of the stuff that i've read about him he will if he's asked to comment on it he'll fucking beat around the bush and be like i don't know and uh because pta wants there to be mystery about his movies you know uh same way with a lot of great filmmakers they just answer figure out yourself you know that's why why you watch it over because you're supposed to like figure stuff out and so he won't he won't directly answer a lot of these things you know i just think the stories are so funny and so interesting that he did this and so eight two appears in this movie a handful of times like it's it's an easter egg that pops up over and over and so he went back and did that himself he edited eight two to be you know on the screen over and over because he was like oh okay well this frog thing like kind of if i can tie this all together that it will make even more sense to the audience if i do all this and my favorite little Easter egg of the eight two is when there's a shot of the crowd from what do kids know? And it's Paul Thomas Anderson himself holding up a sign that says Exodus eight two. Fuck yes. And you have no idea who he is. Cause he's just this normal looking 20 year old white guy. You know, he's just a normal looking dude. Uh, he's still, he still is like, if you saw him on the street, you'd be like, wait a minute. 
<laughs> is is that him? Uh, he has, he's kind of you know he's he's got a look that like every guy in you know walking around New York City has, and so him putting himself into it, you wouldn't know unless you heard about it, read about it, whatever it is. You're like, oh my god, that like he, he did that himself. And then there's plenty of times where eight two pops up, like you know maybe around a gas station, or there's like slight cuts where it just has a you know has a board that says eight two, and you only see it for a split second. And he does that over and over in this movie. And then there's the, you know, actual frogs falling from the sky, you know, and they start, you know, fucking, you know, wailing down on first John C. Riley. John C. Riley's like, what the fuck? You know, and there's, there's, there's a frog and it's bleeding and it's barely alive, you know, and you're like, okay, well, what the hell? And then he looks up and you know, there's, they start fucking coming down. And the whole movie before it was raining. And everybody's like, it's raining cats and dogs out there, you know? And then it's like, no, it's raining frogs. <laughs> uh, and then we, you know, we see Tom Cruise and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Jason Robards at the house and the frogs start coming down. Julianne Moore, she overdoses and she gets into an ambulance. The frogs start coming and the fucking ambulance flips over right next to the hospital. It's crazy. Uh, William H. Macy is climbing up the telephone pole to figure out how to like put this, you know, this money that he wants to steal, he's conflicted about it. He's like, I don't, I don't know if I should do this. And he's climbing up this pole and he looks up and he gets hit by a frog and then he busts his teeth, which is funny because the whole movie, he wanted to get braces. <laughs> uh, and then there's, there's um, you know, uh, uh, Malore Walters. She's at her apartment doing cocaine and the frogs start fucking pouring down, which is, that's one of my favorite touches of the movie is when she looks at her TV screen, which is blank, and she sees like, a couple frogs fall from it. And she's like, what the fuck? And then they start pouring down. And one of, one of them goes through her window and the glass breaks. And it's like, holy shit, this is like, this is real. And then they show Stanley. And Stanley's in the library and he's like, these things happen. Like, this happens. <laughs> oh, man, that's more Freemasonry shit. And then Jimmy Gator. Jimmy Gator is going to kill himself. His wife knows that he probably molested his daughter, their daughter. And he's like, well, I'm, I have, you know, I'm sick. So I might as well, might as well just get my, get myself out of here. The frog, this plague of frogs decides, no, you can't get off that easy. So the frog comes down from the skylight, hits the gun. The gun shoots the TV, I believe. And then you see a fire is about to start. And he's going to burn alive. So he gets the darkest, you know, and this, I could go on about it forever. This ties back into, you know, the little boy Dixon that says the rap at the beginning of the movie. A lot of people are like, what the fuck is that? But it's pretty much spelling out what the movie's going to tell you if you really look at it. The worm is a person. It's Dixon's older brother. But it's, or, or is it his, his, I think it's actually his dad. Dixon, uh, worm is his dad. The one who kills someone at the beginning of the movie and it's in the closet. That's a whole other tangent. But the worm also represents Jimmy Gator. He's the worm and he's about to get God doesn't have a choice. He can't get, he can't get himself. He's going to get God, you know? And, uh, he, the little boy says, you know, bring the pain in. And then the, you know, the Lord will bring the rain in. And that's the frogs coming down is the Lord brings the rain in. Cause that's, that's some shit from the Bible. Like that's, that's some actual stuff from the Bible that I hate to just, you know, cause I used to be a Christian. But hold, really, <laughs> like, like, really, I think, I think putting that in the movie, if you don't know about that stuff, if you don't, 
have a background of, of religion and, and really believing religion and really believing this, honestly, this nonsense, then the movie will kind of lose its touch a little bit at the end. You're like, what? Like this movie was so raw and so real. And then these frogs start falling out of the sky when really it's like, no, no, no. The most like popular religion in the world believes this happened. You know, believes that this can happen, that these things do happen. And like, that's genius to me. That's like incredible, incredible storytelling, incredible filmmaking. And it shows PTA is like, I don't really care if you don't get it. I'm going to make the movies I want to make. I don't really care if they make a lot of money in the box office. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to be proud. And I'm, and I'm going to move on with my life. And that's like one of my favorite attributes of his. He could, after doing Boogie Nights, he could be like, yeah, I'm going to make like a gangster film that people will just like. He's like, no, no, no I'm going to like make a wild movie that intertwines different lives in San Fernando Valley. Uh, you know, that talks about regret and love and loneliness and religion and these different things that we kind of just hold true to ourselves. It's crazy. It's brilliant. And that's definitely my deacons because it's like, who, who has the balls to do that? You know? Fuck man. I, <laughs> I didn't even think about the rap, but yeah, it is. This, it, he's telling you exactly what's going to happen. And Jimmy Gator being punished. I, I completely blanked on the fire, but yeah, he's going to die a much more painful death for what he did. Yeah, he's, he's like in hell now. Yeah. I had it in my mind. I don't know if this is, if this came up at all in fan theories or Anderson, but I got the vibe that he also molested Donnie Smith. That that's definitely in the air. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and who else? What other contestants? Yeah, you know, it may, maybe Stanley because when he when Stanley questions him, he's like, "What about that, Jimmy? I'm talking to you, you know." And Stanley like looks him in the eye, and and, and Jimmy's like so fucking drunk all the time that he's like, "Well, I'm not sure, Stanley." You know, just like Philip Baker Hall puts in a shift in this movie of, oh, beloved old guy who's dying, who's like, oh, you know, on his way out, hosting this TV show to just fucking horrible heinous animal you know um that's incredible that shit happened in england like there was an, uh, a guy like a respect he was like a comedian or a talk show guy or something who was revealed to have like molested a lot of children i think like that actually happened i gotta look up the true story of that but i remember seeing something about that i wonder if anderson read that and was like huh i'll throw that into my movie yeah. uh but yeah i i I love the uh, the biblical stuff. I think it's interesting because I don't have a background in religion at all. Uh, anything I know about, you know, the Bible and God and the devil, I learned from watching 15 seasons of Supernatural. So wildly <laughs> yeah. different experience. But um, I, I didn't find, usually, you know me, I need an explanation for shit in movies. That's a big peeve of mine. But I didn't give a fuck about the frogs. I was just enamored i was just like on board at that point if you're not in like what are you doing that's fair that's yeah that's totally that makes sense yeah and i just thought it was horrific and freaky and a really good realistic depiction of what would happen if a shit ton of frogs fell on the san fernando valley <laughs> like that was frightening they were exploding some of them were still alive yeah like, scary well and, and then you have um the, his gun falls back from the sky yeah and and that that was like 
I've the most interpretations of that and how I interpret it right away was that is Jim getting back his, I mean, yeah, it's a gun, but like, that's his, that's like his life is being a policeman and he's dedicated to it. And he's trying his hardest to be a good policeman. And that is him being rewarded for doing the right thing. That's him being, here you go. It was taken away from you. And now we're, it's, it's being given back to you because you just, you, you quite possibly could like save this guy's life. This, uh, you know, Donnie Smith, like you're like trying to care for him while nobody else did. Um, so that's, I think that's how most people have interpreted that the gun falling back after all the frogs stop, um, you know, and you have that genius little, you know, narration from John C. Riley where he's like, you know, this is, this is a 24 hour job, you know, and the tough part is making that call. The tough part of walking down the street. It's just like, fuck, this is so good. John C. Riley's awesome in this. I love, I love his character. Uh, the solo cop roaming, you know, North Hollywood. Like, it's just, it's just genius. Great stuff. The way I interpreted that was that after Donnie Smith, you know, t- gets the reconstructive surgery on his teeth, thanks to John C. Riley's like friend who works in oral reconstructive surgery. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he's going to become a cop. I think that's how he can express all this love he has to give is doing the right thing. Like John C. Riley did for him. Yeah. So that's what I think his next step is. Cause he's got no other applicable skills as we see. So I think he's going to, you know, I think John C. Riley might help him, you know, get in the Academy or whatever. Magnolia two starring John C. Riley and William H. Macy as buddy cops. I'm I would so down. I would absolutely watch another three-hour movie of those two just as cops patrolling the valley. <laughs> so so would I, my friend. So would I. Uh, so good. So good. I fucking love this movie. <laughs> it's, it's great. I, I wrote down like years ago, uh, maybe like three or four years ago, I wrote down the rap on paper, right? Dixon's rap. And I was like, okay, this has to mean something. <laughs> No. And, 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 you know, I, I tried, tried my hardest and I, I got some of it. I think I, I nailed some of it. And I was like, okay, like that, that makes sense. I, I see he's talking about the different characters in the movie and like what we're about to see. Cause it's early on in the movie. Uh, and, and then I was on Reddit one day and I was like, Oh, this guy fucking nailed it way better than I did. <laughs> this, this guy, like I got a couple of the lines I like understood and I was like, okay, this is what this means. But this guy got like, every single one and it is amazing when i read it i was like i need to meet this guy (laughs) he fucking he he dissected the shit out of that rap and clearly has seen the movie a handful of times and and just it's beautiful it's one of those one of those movies that has a community of people who love it so much that they're just like i'll talk about it all day we can figure out or we can never figure anything out either way let's have some fun talking about a great movie and I'm all about that. Like I'm, I'm so, so, so into it that when I find someone who has seen it or, or likes it or whatever, it's, uh, it's going to be a good day. I can tell, man. I mean, it only took like t- less than 30 episodes for us to tackle my favorite movie and it took a hell of a lot longer for you. And I, I can tell that like, this has been, this has been bubbling under the surface for quite some time. Yeah, <laughs> for I'm sure. Glad, for sure. I'm glad you finally got the opportunity to express your thoughts about this one yeah and it's it's no um 
I really have nothing bad to say about it. You know, I under, I understand some of the people like you, we both mentioned or like why people may not like, you know, vibe with it or whatever, but that's understandable. But this show is about, if you can vibe with it, this, this Oscar Sunday show is about highlighting that stuff. And we, we've done that with a lot of movies. Very rarely are we like, fuck this, you know, like this, this movie sucked, you know, that doesn't happen very often. So uh, we're usually picking movies that, that are, a lot of fun to talk about. Um, what, what, what's also fun is finishing off these shows now with the Academy Awards so we can talk a little shit. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be good. Which category should we start with? We have supporting actor, original song, and screenplay. Original song? Yeah, best song. Sounds like a great place to start. All right. This is a, this is a fun category. We have uh, You'll Be In My Heart. From Tarzan, that's the winner by Phil Collins. Great song, great soundtrack in that movie. Blame Canada <laughs> from South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. Uh, genius, genius movie. Uh, Music of My Heart from Music of the Heart. Haven't seen that movie. I think that's uh, Meryl Streep performance yeah. that was that was nominated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have Save Me uh, from Magnolia. And when she loved me from Toy Story Two, oof! It's not a besides you know bl- you know playing Canada, hell yeah! But these are some sad fucking songs. These are yeah. I I've seen all five of these movies, and that's awesome. I didn't expect that. Uh, Music of the Heart is good. It's a little you know cheesy. It's it's Wes Craven's one drama, <laughs> and it's about like a. Meryl Streep's like a violin teacher who goes to the inner city schools and teaches these kids how to play the violin. So it's got a bit of a Dangerous Minds vibe to it, but it's not terrible. Uh, I don't remember that song, though, so that's not a good start. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> to me, uh, this... I give it to Phil Collins. I love You'll Be In My Heart. I The Tarzan soundtrack is fucking gold. Yeah, it's the best part of the movie. Yeah, yeah, it really is. But I love that this, the the South Park dudes were so pissed that they lost to Phil Collins. That anytime Phil Collins is in South Park, he's always got an Oscar. Yeah, genius, genius <laughs> touch. Uh, yeah, no. this is th- th- this is right. I do think Tarzan. If we were doing best, you know, you know, we have best score, which is a different kind of conversation. But if we were to have best soundtrack. I think it, I think it also goes to Tarzan. I think it's mm-hmm. completely lights out. I do I do love when she loved me that plays over. You know, it's Jesse's big moment in Toy Story two. It's so sad. Fuck man, like some some brutal stuff. And and save save me is kind of like a it's gonna be okay, but also like fuck me <laughs> type of song. So uh, yeah, no, yeah, this is a good group. Yeah, there's a weird theme of abandonment going on in this yeah. in this category uh and then you got fucking you know blame canada yeah I, I which it. It, it's a it's a fun wild card to have to have in here there's one we uh, could do down the road the south park movie oh my god i own that i think yeah that'd be that'd be, so that'd be great <laughs> yeah I, I really like south park i don't watch it like a lot um i'm i'm a more of a I don't know if this is the same, you know, I'm more of a Simpsons guy when it comes to kind of the, that, 
that kind of longevity uh, cartoon that's a little bit, you know, a little bit out there, a little bit more adult. I've always been a huge Simpsons guy. Uh, but South Park is is funnier, you know? It's more ridiculous and fucked up. And for that, I have to always give it its flowers. I used to be a big Simpsons guy. I think that show has outstayed its welcome by a couple decades. I think, it's, <laughs> I think it needs to go. Is there anybody who still watches The Simpsons? Like current season? Really? Still yeah. current season? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it any? Is it still good? I still like it. Yeah, I still like it a lot. I'm just so into the characters, you know. Uh, Springfield is is is, is home. <laughs> Fair enough. I just I think South Park tackles current events on a uh, way more significant scale. Oh, for sure, and has the balls to just destroy anybody. You know, it doesn't matter who they are. So you, no, nothing's off limits. Religion, you know, sexual sexual orientation, like what, like. Everything is on the table with South Park. They do not care to be like politically correct. Yeah. Yeah. And they're the only ones who ever defeated Scientology, bringing it back to Tom Cruise. Bang. <laughs> Love it. Well, um, these are two good categories to talk about. These other two screenplay and supporting actor, which, uh, which one do you want to go with first? Oh man. It's your, it's your game. <laughs> um, let's get supporting actor out of the way. Uh, <laughs> Michael Caine won. I don't mean to degrade him at all. Love, love me some Michael Caine. One of the longest tenured careers where the guy has had it since he was in his twenties to to now still has it. But this is this is highway robbery right right here. I would choose everyone else in the category over him. Uh, Tom Cruise from Magnolia. That's my choice. Michael Clark Duncan, The Green Mile. Great stuff. Rest in peace. Jude Law, the talented Mr. Ripley, another great performance. And Haley Joel Osment. Haley Joel Osment, the sixth sense, a massive role when it comes to pop culture, when it comes to horror, when it comes to genre movies. I would have been okay with him winning. But Michael Caine is not even trying. He's not even trying inside our house rules. It's sad because he has so many other roles that he, you know, could be could could have won for or whatever. This just feels like a, yeah, he's great. So let's give him the gold. It's like, okay, so clearly you didn't watch the Tom, Tom Cruise scene that we're, we've been talking about all night. You know, clearly you didn't watch the green mile at all. <laughs> but Clark Duncan is, is incredible in that. And clearly you didn't see the, you know, kind of suave, you know, like sexy, incredible performance from Jude Law and Thompson, Mr. Ripley. And you don't recognize that a child is, putting in a better shift than Michael Caine. So it's just, it's one of those frustrating ones. I think it's very, very clear that he he's the fifth in this, you know, in this category. And there's so many others out there that, that deserve it over him. I'm with you hundred percent. Michael Caine in the cider house rules is almost laughably bad. It's yeah. I mean, to me, you don't win an Oscar if you can't get rid of your accent. I mean, yeah. if you're going to play a Cockney Maine guy, then no, you don't deserve to be in here. I mean, I love Michael Caine, but this was, and he already had an Oscar. That's a weird thing. It's not a career Oscar. He had one. So like, yeah, what is yeah. This? yeah, it's just a, it's just a fucking, you know, gimmick. Stupid. This yeah. is the shit. This is, this is the, the stuff we have seen over and over through the, the Academy's, you know, history of, 
What did you watch the movies? No, you did not. No, nope. you did not. It's very obvious in some of these categories. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Um, I would go to bat in terms of replacements. I would go to bat for Doug Hutchison in the Green Mile. Hugo uh, Weaving in the Matrix. Oh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, I think a funny one would be John Malkovich in being John Malkovich. I think he does a great job playing a completely bizarre version of himself. Just for that's, the, you know, a- the dream sequence, the Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. That for that bit alone, he should have gotten it. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great call. That's fantastic. I, yeah, I, I didn't even really think about that, but that's perfect. Uh, who else? I mean, there's so many. I mean, um, I don't think anybody's ever gotten an Oscar nomination for playing themselves. I don't think that's ever happened. Surely not. I mean, I mean, Magnolia. You could go Philip Seymour Hoffman, William H. Macy, Tom Cruise, John C. Riley. You could just pick five Magnolia. They're way better than Michael Caine. You could fill this whole category up with just Magnolia, which would be fucking amazing. <laughs> if, yeah, yeah, fuck. Because none of them are lead performances. There's hmm. not one person who, who just dominates the movie. Chris Cooper, American Beauty. Oh, yeah. God damn. Chris Cooper is lights out in American Beauty. I think we talked about this when we did American Beauty. And we were both kind of, we were both kind of like, wait, <laughs> Chris Cooper has been nominated, but what, like, he's not, he's not someone who's been missed completely. Well, why not? Maybe his best role ever. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's, there's some, there's a lot of positives on this Oscars, but there's also a lot of fuck ups. Oh, yeah, extremely extreme, which is why it makes it fun to talk about, right? Is, you know, yes, some of the movies represented are very good, but some of the winners, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like best adapted screenplay. The Cider House Rules? Really? Ah. Over, the ins- over the Insider, A Talented Mr. Ripley, or The Green Mile? Frank Darabont? Genius stuff? Come on. Yeah. I, what was all this love for the Cider House Rules? Like, it is, it is Oscar bait to the core. This is one of those movies that if someone who hated the Oscars watched it, they'd be like, that's why. <laughs> you know? And I'd be like, you're right. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't argue with that. Uh, it's, it's just, it is not my kind of movie. I remember watching it and being like, this is fine. And then talking about it and being like, that wasn't fine. That was not even, that wasn't good. That was not good. Below average. <laughs> to me, it's just, you know, it's, it was good. I liked it. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, did I, or was I tricked? Like, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's never going to like affect me ever in my life. I'm never going to be like, have you seen the Cider House Rules? Tobey Maguire, going for it. You know, that's not happening. That's not happening ever in my life. Whereas I could be like the insider, Al Pacino, holy shit, <laughs> you know, going, going toe to toe with, with fucking Russell Crowe, who's Russell Crowe is on a run here. Insider, gladiator, a beautiful mind. Fuck yeah, you know I, I I don't know these these movies these other movies are just better they they mean more to like the cinematic uh, conversation. Yeah, I agree, and I think that should that should play into it. I don't see how that would ever play into it in picking films for the moment because like in the moment in '99 they don't know the longevity of of these films, but it'd be great if they had some sort of crystal ball or something that could tell them like people are going to be talking about this one but not this one. So uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Maybe we have. One of my favorite writers, uh, Bill Simmons, and he's, he's a 
great podcaster in his own right, usually about sports. He, um, and he's credited for making, I mean, he's, he's been podcasting since like 2007 and he's a guy who really paved the way. He was a total trailblazer for making it kind of the, the, the medium that it is today where it's like a profitable real medium. And he's always said with movies, because he, he likes movies too, and he loves the Oscars. Like he wants to love the Oscars the same way we do. He's always said, why not wait three, four, five years to do every ceremony? So say 2015, the 2015 Oscars are all about the 2010 movies because it's, we've given them life. We've given them a place to breathe and a place to become what they are. You still would have the Oscars every year. You're just covering years from the past where it's like, not this, it's not this thing where it's like, oh, this movie just came out. It came out in December and, you know, the voters are like, ah, recency biased. Okay. This movie, you know, this is the one that won. It's more like, all right, what movies have actually made an impact since 2010 or whatever year it is, you know, in my opinion, if you did it that way, the matrix would be there it would be very clear, like, wow, people love this movie. And there's no real question about it. doesn't mean you have to go with all popular movies, but that shouldn't matter. It should matter if they're relevant to people who like movies. That's a very interesting idea. Huh. I, hmm, I have mixed feelings about that. Me, I, me too, because I'm like, ah, I don't know. Like, it's, we've been doing this for 90 plus years, you know? Yeah, I would never fly at all now. No, but, uh, I mean, back in the day, and you know, they used to do it for like, you know, 1928 and 1929 films. And like, they started out kind of doing that, something like that. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Be interesting to see like what, you know, from let's like, take this year, for example, like what from this year so far would, would we still be talking about that? Like about in, uh, in like five years or do, do movies even have that anymore? Okay. That's another amazing kind of branch off of that is like uh oh what do we have you know no way home longevity's dead no no way home and dune are those the two movies that people are gonna like still talk about from 2020 2021 probably yeah i mean i've already kind of blanked out on a lot of those it's it's wild like i'm never watching king richard again you know you know what i mean i I don't know how many more times i'm gonna see kokoda again i don't know how many times i'm gonna watch honestly i love the power of the dog i don't know how many times i'm gonna watch that again for me, it's it's licorice pizza, obviously, but it's like that. I mean, that's because I'm a fan of the creator. Yeah. The two movies I'll probably watch, and it's not even really like by choice, the two movies I'll probably watch the most are No Way Home and Dune. <laughs> there are these two movies that are a part of a franchise. You know, Dune's gonna be a franchise now, and are and are fucking good. They're good movies, they're entertaining, they do their job, they get you going, they get you excited for movies. So that 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 that's a scary place to be right is where we don't have five movies from 2021 that we would be down to just keep talking about for the next few decades. Here's another question. Do films that are not part of a franchise even have a chance at longevity anymore? Mm. It would have to be like get out or the social network or a Tarantino film or, you know what I mean? It would have to be like by an auteur. Uh, it, would, it would be one of those special things. Um, who else is even in that category? Like, I don't even know who's, I don't even know who's in that anymore. You know, 
Maybe yeah. Noah Bombach, Noah Bombach, maybe Greta Gerwig, maybe Jordan, Jordan Peele. These, these like new up and comers who are going to start taking over. And then of course we still have the old guard of, you know, Quentin Tarantino and Spike Lee and the Coens and Paul Thomas Anderson and Wes Anderson. But it's not what it once was. <laughs> it really just, isn't. It's just not people. And I have so many friends that I talk to at work, acquaintances, friends, coworkers, whatever, whatever, you know, all, all the above where it's like when Dr. Strange came out, everyone was talking about it. And I'm like, have you seen the Northmen? And they're like, no, and I'm like, Oh, you know, and it's like, I, I don't want to throw shade at cause Dr. Strange, you know, it's, a, it's an entertaining movie and a lot of people liked it, but man, what happened to, what happened to the small, <laughs> what happened to the small guy that was like, Hey, I'm still in the room too. You know, I'm, I'm right here. Where are those movies going? Like, what is the conversation? Are they all going to be box office like failures? It's fucking crazy. Well, even the big ones, like as soon as, you know, as, as quickly as Dr. Strange came about, it was like, all right, now give me the next one. And now everyone's talking about Top Gun. And as soon as and, that's and, gone. Yeah. yeah. And, and Stranger Things and Obi-Wan and <laughs> Top Gun Maverick. And it's like, oh my God, all of that came out this weekend is coming, is out now. These two, fucking huge like tentpole shows of the year stranger things season four and the new star wars show starring fucking ewan mcgregor i get it and top gun maverick a movie that came out 35 years ago you know like it's it's a it's whatever it's a sequel or whatever it is and like that's all this weekend and the next weekend i don't know i don't know i don't know five more things are going to come out you know the the the, the news uh, I don't know what the word is for it, but like the, the cycle that we have of stuff is so fast. It's dangerous in my opinion. Yeah. You see why I had to stop doing the sneak preview? Yeah. It was becoming, every episode was becoming irrelevant within a week. It was, there was no bite to it anymore because you can't keep up that fast. It's impossible. You, you can try, but it's going to fuck you up. And, you know, I like staying back here in the past where it's cozy and warm and I can, reflect yeah. a little bit <laughs> it's like it's like a fucking warm blankets being wrapped around you when you get to talk about the coins you know yeah um and and hone in on no country for old men and really figure out why that movie has aged the way it has for you and i do we're out there we, we are out there are people out there who do give a shit you know uh, when we went to los angeles you and i are like oh mm-hmm. we're yeah. not al- we're not al- we're not alone and like how naive of us to think you know in those major cities where film is big, there's going to be those people who are like licorice pizza is the biggest fucking deal of the year. There are going to be those people, but man, it's few and far between. I love how you say for you, because it is very, every film is subjective and I, I don't want anybody to ever lose that. Like, you know what the North man, for example, means to you might not necessarily mean the same for me or the same for Caleb. I think it did though. Pretty universally. We all fucking loved it. But um, yeah, fucking. A. I, <laughs> but I do, I, I do think that's important. Um, yeah, and you know, I am still going to see these movies. I'm still going to go see all this stuff. But now I'm going to not have to do an immediate podcast on it in two days. I'm going to have some time to think about it and think like, was it good? Is it worth thinking about in the long term? Does it deserve a show down the road? Like, is this going to be culturally relevant a year from now? I can actually, I can think about this shit now, and. I, I like that. Yeah, man. I think we're kind of having like a 
therapeutic, you know, session here. Because uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's very, very obviously the most important thing, like in our, in our social and kind of personal hobby enjoyment, uh, that section of our lives, it's clearly the most important thing to both of us. I choose movies over just about anything as far as entertainment goes. Um, my brother was like, do you want to watch this playoff game? And I was like, oh, I got to watch Magnolia. He's like, you've seen it 50 times. I'm like, yeah, but, but I got to watch it for the show. <laughs> and I, cho- I, ch- I chose that over watching a NBA playoff game, which in, in the moment means way more to way more people. That playoff, that basketball game means a whole lot. But to me, Magnolia meant more than anything in the world, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's, that's just kind of like finding that and finding those people that, that also have those moments. Um, Cause yeah, holy shit, man. It's, it's like, it, it doesn't happen a lot. So yeah, I, I do think we want to create a buildup to uh, what's coming out. Um, like uh, light year. There's a sincere buildup for both of us for that. And a, a lot of fans alike and a lot of kids and a lot of families. There is going to be that week where I'm like thinking about Toy Story a lot and thinking about Buzz Lightyear and thinking about Pixar. That's going to happen. And that's beautiful. That's wonderful. I just don't want it to end after like two days. Yeah. Well, you know, I love that we're getting kind of an example of this, you know, blockbuster versus auteur thing in a couple of weeks where we have Jurassic World Dominion versus Cronenberg's new movie, Crimes of the Future, which I intend to see both and thoroughly enjoy both. But, you know, not a lot of people have that luxury or even give a shit about Cronenberg. Yeah, I don't, th- I don't think a lot of people know who he is. Uh, oh, sad. Yeah, it's, it's very sad because the guy's a genre genius. Um, those are both theater f- films, so I probably, I probably won't see either of them right away. I'll probably, I don't even know when I'll see New Jurassic, uh, Jurassic World Dominion. So, yeah, is that what it's called? That's what it's called. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, I don't know. I love dinosaurs, so like every time a new Jurassic Park or Jurassic World movie comes out, I'm like, this could be dope. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is. Uh, but you know, Cronenberg is someone I'm like, I will watch that as soon as I can in my own time. You know, I would love to go to the theater for it, but we'll see. You know, it's not a guarantee type of thing. Yeah. Um, and so that, that makes me even default to the past even more, you know, it's like, okay, I can't go to the theater to see this like, new Cronenberg movie. Let's watch the brood again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> uh, be a, be a part of it that way. Uh, this is great. This all came from what, how did this start? What were we talking um, about? Where we, where we, we went were, to this crazy we existential. <laughs> we were looking at best adapted screenplay and I, I don't remember how it evolved into this, but I, that, I remember, that was the last thing I remember we were talking about. Yeah, me too. Cause we were like, Oh, the cider house rules. And I don't, <laughs> Oh, we were talking about how uh, my guy, Bill Simmons says we should do the Oscars like three or four or five years after yeah. every, like each ceremony should represent the movies of the yeah. past. I was bringing up how I wish we had a crystal ball. Like, yeah. All that. All right. Now we, all right. Makes sense. And, 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 you know, in a way that's what we're doing. You know, this is 1999. This is, 23 years ago and me and you would change the best picture category drastically yeah there's no two ways about it that's kind of what we're doing here when we do the showdowns 
we're not trying to be like, these are the five and everything else sucks. We're like, we're taking the category that they gave us and ranking them that way. So I can't wait to do that next week. It's, it's, it feels like it's been a while since we did one, even we just did fucking sounds of the lambs. Uh, it feels like it's been a while. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. You know what it does? It does feel like, hmm, I wonder that is weird. Yeah, I, I think Casones of Lambs is just the back of our hand. You know, it's just what we do. Well, um, maybe so is next week. Yeah. Yeah. Although I haven't seen next week's nearly as often as Sounds of Lambs, probably because of the runtime. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't bother me with, with next week. Oh, For me, it's like it doesn't it doesn't bother me. But if I have, you know, if I have a night, a Tuesday night where I'm like, oh, I'm gonna watch something real good. Am I gonna go to Sounds of Lambs or am I gonna go to a three hour gangster? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, depends on what I'm in the mood for, you know. It's yeah, like I'm yeah. opening this giant ass menu, and I'm like, "What do I feel like having tonight?" Yeah. <laughs> uh, so good. Uh, if you if you know, then you should know. Uh, let's talk about the last category here: original screenplay. All right. Original screenplay. This is a, this this is a decent group. We got American Beauty taking the win. It's written by Alan Ball. If being John Malkovich by Charlie Kaufman. We have Magnolia by Paul Thomas Anderson. The Sixth Sense by M. Night Shyamalan. Whoa. And Topsy Turvy by Mike Lee. Uh, this is, these are recognizable names right here. And of course, I'd probably go Magnolia here, but American Beauty's got some, some wicked dialogue. I have not seen Topsy Turvy, so I can't judge that one. Um, it is still weird to me that the phrase Academy Award nominee M. Night Shyamalan is a phrase that exists uh but i get sure. sense like I, I wish he'd kept that level of mo- like momentum throughout his whole career he could have been one of the greatest filmmakers we'd ever seen uh yeah nope. <laughs> not yet he, he went the other way fast yeah um uh, i got a funny story to tell you about oh, uh, the movie old and my dad when we're done here <laughs> he called me yesterday okay. and i'll be like what the fuck so remind me of that when we're done here um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I wa- dad, you you should have known. <laughs> oh, American Beauty is a tight, great screenplay, also about kind of you know regret and not living your life the way you should. Interesting theme going. Yeah, but I feel like if if they were ever going to give a screenplay win to Anderson, it probably would have Magnolia probably would have had the best chance. Oh boy, that's tough. That's I don't think it's question. the one he necessarily should have won for, but I think it's the one that the Oscars would have had the most reason to give to him. That's fair. I yeah, I hear I hear you on that. I thought he had a good chance of licorice pizza, but um, yeah, I, yeah, I'd say Magnolia is probably right up there at the top because Boogie, Boogie Nights, Boogie Nights was up for screenplay as well, I believe. Yes, um, who beat him for licorice pizza? Uh, Coda was shit. adapted. Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, Belfast. Okay, yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. Though it was it was a long time coming for him. Uh, PTA will get his one day. One day he'll get something. I I hope so. He deserves it. He's written more amazing screenplays than most filmmakers have in their entire careers. Yeah, yeah. He's like one of those guys where his worst movie is better than a lot of filmmakers' best movie. What is his worst movie? Heart Eight. 
just but it's hard eight's great it's just <laughs> it, it, it doesn't it does not like i love hard eight i think philip baker hall and john c Riley are fucking incredible together one of probably my favorite philip baker hall performance but it's it's restrained you can tell that people were like mm, you're like 25 years old you don't know what you're doing you know uh which is which like i mean yeah i mean yeah when you're that young and you're like yeah, I got this ambitious movie about you know gambling. They probably want you know let's let's pull it back a bit. And then he does Boogie Nights, and it, and and their pr- production was like, hey, chill out. And he got made, and, and people loved it. And then he was like, now give me free reign. And then he makes Magnolia, <laughs> and they're like, fuck you, You're, you can't <laughs> you can't be doing this shit. And he's like, I'll find elsewhere. <laughs> uh, that's that's funny as all. Uh, but I will. I'll give this to Magnolia. I think it's how he juggles all those characters in this ambitious movie and makes it all make sense. And there's not a boring piece to this. That's incredibly like impressive. So that, yeah, I'll give it to him. Yeah. It's, it's jam packed even for three hours. It's jam packed and it's, it's moving. There's a lot of stuff said and a lot of like huge, big, like movie moments of, of dialogue so and there's also some great just fucking tom fullery type you know just we're just we're just fucking talking you know we're just shooting the shit and even that stuff is really good and credit to the actors for doing their job really well in that movie uh, all right so there's our three categories we definitely think Cruz should have won we definitely think not definitely but we think pta probably could have taken a win over alan ball even though that's a good screenplay as well and the, I love the being John Malkovich screenplay. I don't know, it's, that one's super unique. I'm, and then we both we both agree with Phil Collins winning best song. Yeah, I do just want to real quick. I wonder how Kaufman pitched being John Malkovich. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And where that movie ever would have gone if Malkovich had said no? Like, would he have picked a different actor and tried to repitch it, or would it just been like, this is dead. It doesn't work without Malkovich. Has to be Malkovich. <laughs> oh Christ! I don't know, man. He probably just would have done an adaptation and like written a written a movie about him trying to sell being John Malkovich. Totally, uh, totally, totally okay with how it how it worked out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's a great movie. That'd be a lot of fun to do on here. Yeah, there's some gems. There's some gems from '99 that we could do um, do on this show. Ah, uh, well. Been a nice meaty episode. Still not three hours and eight minutes, but uh, <laughs> you know we we can give it our best. Next week, my God, we're doing a movie almost as long. Um, it's two hours and fifty five minutes. Nineteen seventy two. Uh, if you if you know, you know. We've been beating around the bush here for the last last ten minutes. Fifty year anniversary for arguably the greatest American movie ever made, The Godfather just destroyed at this Academy Awards. Destroyed. Cabaret was also doing, doing, doing mighty fine at that ceremony, but Godfather comes out on top. It's the movie that's always going to be remembered as having Godfather and Godfather Part 2 both winning Best Picture just two years apart. And then Godfather Part 3 somehow was nominated for Best Picture. I don't get it, but I think it was just because of the name. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, this 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 movie is rated number two on um, fucking uh, IMDb. It's it's one of the most memorable 
you know, classics that we've ever, we've ever had, you know, and the history of, of, of movie making. So it's, it's been a long time coming. This, this one is, would you say this is our biggest movie we've done? I mean, it's gotta be right. Like as far as bringing all of it together, Oscars, movie making, cinephiles, you know, all these conversations that we like to have, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, you know, all these amazing people that are involved. And, and because it did so well at the ceremony, I feel like this is like the biggest episode we could possibly have. In terms of cultural significance, this is, I think, as as big as we've gotten yet. And it really, like, it really does, you know, it ties it all together. We could talk about the film's cultural significance, the film's Oscar significance, the ceremony, all of these incredible performers, Francis Ford Coppola. Like, this is this is a big one. <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal. It has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eleven nominations, three wins. Uh, let's just let's just for, for the fuck of it, you know, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, best director. We're going to talk about that. Al Pacino, best actor in a supporting role. James Caan, Robert Duvall, all all in the same category from the same fucking movie. Uh, incredible. Marlon Brando won for best actor in a lead role. Did not attend the ceremony. That's a famous thing we'll kind of cover next week. Uh, best picture at one, obviously. Best screenplay, uh, adapted screenplay. Uh, I mean, yeah, we're, we're going to get into it. And because it's a showdown, uh, I have already watched Sounder and Cabaret. I still have to watch The Godfather, rewatch, obviously, rewatch The Godfather, rewatch Deliverance, and fuck, The Immigrants, that long ass Swedish movie. It's like three hours or something. Uh, I got to watch that too. So I, I'm, I'm okay. I got a week to watch three movies, two of them equaling up to six hours. So uh, that'll be, that'll be fun. I'll have a busy week. I'm just going to be focusing on that, you know, and, and really trying to. I haven't watched The Godfather all the way through in since we did it on film gasm, like I don't know how long that was like two plus years ago. So, uh, yeah, remember that. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to go back. Finally. I've been waiting for a reason. And the 50th anniversary makes sense. Mm, yeah. And apart from the Godfather, the other four are first timers for me. So this will be very interesting. Deliverance. I've seen, I own deliverance movies tough, but really good. Great cast. Um, and cabaret I had seen, but it went way over my head. Uh, so rewatched it, really liked it. Love Bob Fosse these days. So uh, I'm excited, man. I don't think there's like, and Sounder was pretty good too. I think you're going to dig Sounder. Uh, I think this is like a good, I mean, the seventies usually give us a pretty good five. Yeah. I believe in America. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be good. I can't yeah. wait. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be incredible, man. Yeah. It's our, it's basically our two year, you know, we started doing this. I think our first ever episode was June 7th of 2020 we did pulp fiction and that was you know you and i were like we need another show we need we need more space to talk about different stuff because that was when you know covid was was starting and everything was shutting down and we were both kind of like man we're watching all these movies like what do we do with it (laughs) and we created we created this show to talk about movies that just straight up deserve you know two hours two and a half hours of discussion where me and you get to just bullshit and have some fun so uh, this has been so much fun doing this, you know, hundred, you know, episode 105 is next week. And that's, that's hard to believe, but we've done, done some amazing movies, man. And I, the catalog's going to keep growing, keep getting better and better. Uh, so Godfather's going to add kind of a, a, 
true relic to that to that catalog. Uh, but that's not what we're doing. Sneak preview is is officially uh, is done. Correct. Yep, we canned it. Silver. So, uh, so there's no sneak preview tomorrow. Uh, well, you know, and and for any listener who, who who maybe didn't hear you kind of explain it, we want to kind of use Oscar Sunday film gasm and beyond the bad to their fullest. We want to just go all out on those, talk about movies from the past. But when something does come out that we do want to talk about a little bit, that there has been some buildup, like Lightyear, we're going to be doing probably a fucking Toy Story movie on Oscar Sunday. So we can talk about Pixar, talk about Buzz, talk about Woody, and then maybe talk a little bit about Lightyear because we probably will have both seen it. Yeah. So we're going to kind of, we're kind of going to kind of like, like combine them all, you know, and make them, Make make sneak preview kind of inner interchange with all these shows that we already have. So it'll be it'll be I think better to do it that way. Um, we can yeah. hone in on we can hone in on what we actually want to hone in on and yeah. give give it give it that respect. Um, I believe all movies deserve something, but we're only yeah. four or five guys. You know, we're only we're only four or five dudes here trying our hardest to make content uh, while we also have our personal lives. You know, um, yeah. so. So this is the way to go, you know, and on filmgasm, like Dr. Strange comes out, we'll do fucking army of darkness on filmgasm and talk about Sam Raimi and talk about Dr. Strange on there. You know, you know, it'd be that kind of stuff. Um, Just kind of letting, letting the conversations go where they need to go on each show. And if we need to implement current stuff on there, we will. Uh, That's just, that's just the best way to go for us right now. Yeah. The spirit of the sneak preview will live on in our remaining three shows is after all, as the book says, we may be through with the past, but the past ain't through with us. So, yeah. Amen. <laughs> Welcome to the cult. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to keep uh, your spirit going. We're going to keep making these three shows as epic and awesome as we can. And of course, it's not like we're going to stop seeing current movies or reading current movie news. And when something happens, when something's worth talking about, we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah, straight up. That's exactly right. Uh, when we see fit. Um, Film guys, though, this week on Wednesday, what are we doing? We're doing a little film called The Void. Very uh, nice. Recommended very nice. to us by our new guy, Colton Jenkins. Uh, very excited. He wanted to go Lovecraft. And uh, this is what he chose. I have not seen this film yet, but uh, I've heard it's quite a trip. Yeah, so. it is. That, yeah, that's right. It's a trip. <laughs> so can't wait. Yeah, that's something. And then Beyond the Bad. Beyond the Bad, uh, coming off of some Tom Cruise hate, we're going to start. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna chide John Carpenter a little bit with 2001's Ghost of Mars. Uh, Good luck. Of, yeah, I know. I I kind of don't want to. You know what I mean? But like, also, he deserves it with this film. Uh, I, you know how much I love Carpenter, but it is the later half of his career is pretty bad. And Ghost of Mars could have been. It should have been amazing. But the studio stepped in and said, "You cannot make another Snake Plissken movie." And he said, "Fine." Then no one's gonna like this. And there we are. Oh man. Oh man. Yeah. I just don't think I have it in me <laughs> to, 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 to talk. Cause, cause even if you give, you know, you give one great movie that I love, I'm going to have a hard time turning my back on you. <laughs> it's it's going to be hard to, I mean, you know, Caleb and I both absolutely adore Carpenter. Yes. Yeah. So that's it's not going to, it's not going to be the same kind of hate, you know, we gave Tom Cruise, which this is somebody we re- we like somebody we respect. So we're going to be, I mean, we're still going to be harsh, but we're not going to be, you know, mean spirited harsh like we yeah. were with some other people. 
I know like, what you mean. You because you you guys can't. That's like your Jesus. You can't. You can't yeah. just be like you like, suck. Yeah, I can rip Tom Green to shreds any day of the week. Yeah, but John, just John Carpenter did too much for me personally as a film fan that it just wouldn't feel right. But he did make a bad movie, more a few of them. So Ghost of Mars. <laughs> I yeah, I, I I understand that. I understand. I just you know he's. He's the guy who gave us so many amazing movies. So that'll that'll be that'll be a cool conversation because y'all will be kind of like, ah, yeah, yeah. It'll it'll be a different it'll be a different kind of beyond the bat. So yeah, that's great. And then again next week, The Godfather. Come back, listen to us talk about 1972. Talk about The Godfather, one of the greatest movies of all time. Really, no matter what you see it. So uh, this is great, man. You know, like you said, you know, from the great words of Ricky Jay, they may be through with the past, but the past ain't through with us. Thank you.